Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Universe Within Podcast. This episode of the show is being sponsored by the Amazonian Plan Healing Center, the Temple of the Way of Light. I've worked at the temple for about the past decade now, and I can really attest to the quality of the work that they do. Uh, they are predominantly working with the Amazonian plant medicine, ayahuasca, which many people have probably heard of by now. And they predominantly work with a group of people called the Shipibo people who have a really long lineage of, of working with this plant medicine. They offer 12-day retreats with six different ceremonies, working with four different indigenous doctors or healers, curanderos. Uh, they work with two to three facilitators who help to support in that process. Uh, they really just have an amazing support staff, yoga teachers, bone doctors, massage therapists, uh, an amazing integration team to help uh, the people who come down to experience that work, to be able to integrate that back into their lives. So if you're looking to work with plant medicine and, and ayahuasca and do it in a more traditional setting, working with people who are really highly qualified, uh, I, I can definitely recommend the temple. They, they do some pretty amazing work. So uh, they should be back open now. Uh, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, they've been closed since March of 2020. Uh, but they, as of today, this is shot a, a little bit early. Um, but when this podcast comes out, they will have been about seven or eight days into their first retreat of uh, of this new year. So uh, it's a big uh, it's a big blessing that they're back open because they they help a lot of people and they do really amazing work. So if you'd like more information about them, you can check out the website at templeofthewayoflight.org. Um, also, myself and my colleague Marav Artsy are continuing to run dietas uh, here in the Sacred Valley, also in Egypt, and we'll begin to uh, schedule some more in the coming months. So we'll have some more dates on our website. But that's a really amazing opportunity to go much deeper into this work of plant medicine, to go into isolation and, and uh, do a process of fasting and ingesting these different plants to really experience the, the different healing and, and learning modalities that these plants offer. That's something we touched a little bit about in this, uh, this podcast that you're about to listen to with Jenny. Um, and it's a, it's a really amazing experience. So if you'd like more information on that, you can check out my website at nicotianarustica.org. And uh, my colleague, Marav Artsy, her site is tobaccodiets.com. There'll be a link to all of those in the show notes. Uh, my guest for today is my friend uh, Jenny Kundari. I met her a number of years ago, also at the Temple of the Way of Light. Uh, she originally came down as a guest, and uh, she came down a, a number of times after, kind of in a supporting role. I, I also, um, we were together at the MAPS conference, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, something like that. Um, so she's become a friend. Uh, she's a, a really beautiful human being. She's a naturopathic doctor. She also works in the, the, the kind of emerging field of psychedelic assisted therapy. Um, so we talked a bit about her background and what drew her to this work of being a naturopathic doctor, uh, working with different plant medicines in a, in a more traditional setting and also in this emerging field of uh, assisted therapy. So I think and hope you all will get a lot of this episode. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. As always, if you're able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me to continue to bring on these guests. Um, Patreon is a, a really beautiful option. It's a subscription service. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, and if you feel like you're enjoying something or getting something out of these uh, these podcasts and episodes, uh, as I think I say on the Patreon site, it's, uh, you know, 
basically like buying a cup of coffee to be able to support the podcast. So that's a really big help. There's different tiers you can sign up for and you get some added benefits uh, back with the, the different tiers you sign up for. Um, there's also the option to direct donate via PayPal. Also with YouTube now, if you're watching on YouTube, there's the option to join the channel and it gives you a lot of the same perks as the Patreon page. So I think that's it. Uh, also, as always, if you're able to help support the podcast via subscribing, that's a really big help. So on the YouTube channel, subscribing to the channel, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, it may seem like a really small thing, but that really helps to get the show out to a bigger audience. It helps with the algorithms. And then on the audio version, going on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribing to the show, uh, leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's a really big help. So to all the people who have done that, to all the patrons, all the people who have donated and subscribed, thank you very much. I very much appreciate it. And I think without further ado, here is my conversation with Jenny. I'm running out from the maze, running out from the maze, running out of the maze today. Running out from the maze, running out from the maze, running out from the maze today I'm running out from the maze running out from the maze run out of the maze today yeah so welcome um we we met i don't know a number of years back like like a lot of my guests at the the temple the way of light which is a big amazonian plant healing center um, I can't remember why you first came down. Maybe it was you were doing a workshop as a guest and, and I was there at the same time, but you, you've been down a number of times since. And um, we also met at the, the MAPS conference, the, the, I don't even know what the acronym psychedelic, is. Psychedelic Association of Psychedelic yeah. Studies or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, we, we've kept in touch a bit uh, since then. And I know a little bit about your background, but but not a tremendous amount. I know you're a naturopathic doctor. I think you've studied some traditional Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. So maybe just to start, um, tell us about your life. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, how much know, time do you have? <laughs> yeah, how, how you came to be interested in those things, yeah. naturopathic medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, what eventually led you down to the Amazon to want to explore kind of that lineage of working with plants and, and uh, yeah, just whatever comes to mind. Sounds good. Well, yeah, thank you for having me. And yeah, nice to see you again. And yeah, I think it was actually, it was definitely a couple of years ago. And I it came down for the first women's retreat that Tanya and Deanna were leading, um, my good friends. And, and yeah, that was my, I mean, the motivation at that time was definitely my own healing. Um, and then, I mean, that retreat really changed a lot for me really changed the course of my life, I feel like. So I'll, I'll get into that in terms of, yeah, I feel like those are some big questions in terms of my life, life history. So I'll try to summarize and not get too <laughs> into, caught into tangents. Um, but yeah, so essentially, you know, I grew up in Kamloops, BC. So it's a small town just northeast of Vancouver. Um, and both, both my parents are children of Italian immigrants. So they all came to Kamloops um, to work on the railroad and to just look for a better life for their families. And then my parents grew up there. And then, yeah, so I grew up with a pretty big community and a big Italian community. 
um, which was great and a huge part of, I think, why I am the way I am and learned a lot from my grandparents. And it was nice to have that influence from, especially my grandmothers were very connected to plants and they had huge gardens and actually my grandfather's as well. And my mom's lineage, my mom's side, they come from a small town in Italy called Benevento, which is actually the, the witch mecca of the world. Um, so there's, that's where all the witches would apparently go and congregate and dance under this walnut tree. And my grandmother would tell me stories about the witches. And there was a line of medicine, medicine people in our, in that lineage and my mom's side. And I'd watch my great grandmother. She would do these spells as I would call them when I was younger and these chants actually. And if you had a headache and there's all these different yeah, chants and, and exercises and super superstitions that they believed in. And, and so that was kind of like an early influence of, you know, something bigger than conventional medicine. Um, and then, you know, I, but I grew up in a pretty conventional household. Um, you know, my parents really assimilated to the Western culture and they experienced, you know, some racism in their they're in the small town in terms of, you know, their first language is Italian. And, you know, so they really had to, you know, learn to speak English. And so they really passed that on to us in terms of like, it was a very conventional household in a way. Um, and, you know, very conventional medicine. If you're sick, you get Tylenol, if you're <laughs> like antibiotics. And, and so, you know, that was, you know, kind of my early upbringing was different influences from from both um, kind of angles in a sense. And, and then in terms of, you know, what led me into studying alternative medicine. So it's kind of a long story, but essentially, you know, I was sick a lot when I was little, um, had a lot of, you know, I was always getting throat infections and, you know, tummy issues. And, you know, there was just a lot that I was constantly, you know, getting sick and, you know, Western medicine was helpful and in some ways. Um, and then, you know, I knew, so there's a couple layers to it. I knew that I always loved to, you know, help people and, you know, for better, for worse, um, because, you know, that became almost like a role that I played in the family. Um, I'm very, very, very sensitive and always very fascinated with human behavior and observed a lot as the youngest or I am the youngest of three so as I was observing everyone's behaviors and I, I was always feeling a lot and so if someone was in pain I'd feel that and I'd want to make it better so that I would feel better too and so you know that kind of became part of my path essentially you know again and I say for better or for worse because I think I identified a lot with it then um, as well and then, you know, I, it's interesting. I never really liked school. Um, I was good at it, but I just didn't really like how I was like stuffed in a box. And I was always a very artistic and creative uh, person as well. And love music and art and dance and all the things. And so I found that school was quite limiting in that sense. Um, but my parents really encouraged us to be in school and, it would just wasn't a question that I wasn't going to go to post-secondary um, school. It was like university, that was what I was going to do. And so, um, you know, even though I didn't really want to, I wanted to actually 
I think I had, yeah, I had dreams of like being a professional dancer or a professional surfer or artist or drummer, or, you know, but there was a way in which I really wanted to please my family. And, you know, and so I ended up, you know, I was really good at science. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll study science. I'll become a doctor. That's what like, you know, that's what I felt would be important. I liked helping people. And so I started out on that route. Um, so I ended up going across the country. I went to Queens University and studied. I did this like very rigorous um, dual degree program. So I was doing two degrees at the same time. So I was studying, I was getting a bachelor's of science. And then I was also getting a bachelor's of, it's called physical and health education. So like kinesiology. And my motivation was to become a sports medical doctor. Um, Cause I had, I also <laughs> loved to play sports and I was also very, I guess you would call it um, reckless, a little bit reckless in my youth as well. A lot of extreme sports, a lot of like snowboarding and, you know, I got hurt a lot. Um, and so I was often breaking bones and, you know, was, I learned a lot from that journey in terms of, you know, like how to repair after that. And I was like, okay, I know a lot about this. I'll go into sports medicine to help people who had similar injuries that I had. And then being in university in my undergrad, it was, I mean, I call those years the lost years in terms of I completely disconnected from myself, from my soul, it felt like. And that's when a lot of, you know, depression and anxiety really started to sink in. I was really, really, really struggling. Um, and, you know, just really, yeah, like having really struggling to find a lot of joy. And I was really seeing how out of alignment I was. Um, I mean, looking back, I was, I'm able to see like, wow, I was really doing it for the wrong reasons um, in terms of at that school, in that program, you know, at that time for a lot of the wrong reasons, not really for like what my soul actually really wanted. And, you know, at first it was like little whispers and then it started to get really loud and a lot of just, you know, traumatic things were happening at that time too. And, and so I got really sick during that time um, and went through a whole process of, you know, being medicated in terms of, you know, going on antidepressants and um, that whole thing. And not once did one of the doctors ask me what was going on in my life or what my diet was like, or, you know, what my sleep was like. And there was just nothing. It was like, here, try this medication and tried many different medications that, you know, weren't really working. I was having a lot of side effects and, and then found one that, you know, did work and was actually on for five years. Um, but then after, after that program finished, I mean, I finished it and then I moved back to British Columbia, I moved to Vancouver and was like, I'd say like a bit of a shell of a human. I was really not in a good place and, you know, really in a deep, dark depression at the time. And, you know, was really trying to find ways to um, you know, help myself, get myself out of that. And, and then I, you know, I was like, okay, well, what skills do I have? You know? And so, and then I got certified as a kinesiologist and a personal trainer. And cause I was really into working out in sports and everything and, you know, didn't really love it that much, but it was something that, you know, I needed to make money and um, live. And so it actually helped to kind of pull me out because it gave me a bit of purpose. And, and then it was actually one of my personal training clients that was telling me her story 
and she told me about this naturopathic doctor that she was seeing and how he changed her life. And so I got curious and I started, you know, I was like, what is that? That's like hippie medicine. And I was like, no idea what it was. And so I started looking it up and I was like, oh, okay, this seems interesting, you know, and I'm, I'm very curious. I've always been a very curious person. And so I, I booked an appointment. I went to see him and um, yeah, that first visit changed so much for me. You know, he really took the time to listen and he really, you know, was very present with me and, you know, really wanted to know my whole story, you know, my childhood, everything. And so that was the first time I'd ever had a, a physician actually listen to me and really hold space for me to, you know, express some of the things that I'd been through and what I was going through. And, and, you know, he, within that first visit, he, he figured out a number of things that were going on with me that, you know, many doctors just couldn't see, um, you know, one of them being, you know, he's like, I think you have celiac disease. Like I, you have all the signs that point towards that. And, and I had been to, GI specialists in high school and not one of them thought to test me for that I'd got tested for Crohn's and colitis and but because it wasn't in my genetic history they didn't go down that route and and then yeah multiple nutritional deficiencies and everything but essentially you know that was the case I yeah so then stopped and changed my diet stopped eating gluten and a bunch of other things and added in some different nutrients and it was like my whole life completely changed in that you know just that short amount of time in terms of like my physiology really starting to change and really starting to perk that curiosity of like whoa okay there's the connection here in terms of my physical health and my mental health and you know at that time again still feeling kind of lost and unsure what I wanted to do and then he was like, I think, I think you'd be a great naturopathic doctor. You should, you should apply. And the thought of doing another four years, another four like vigorous years kind of made me want to throw up. And, but, you know, I, I sat with it and I looked into it more. I talked to some other people that have went down that route. And to me, it was like all the things that I was interested in one profession. And so I applied and I got in and I, you know, it's that, that really was the, like the start of a really in-depth, you know, just self-inquiry process. And then also really learning about these other modalities and having my mind blown in terms of, you know, just learning about these ancient healing techniques and, you know, really igniting my passion for botanical medicine too. That was a huge part of our training and and then counseling as well. So that was a huge part of our training was, you know, counseling training essentially and learning how to be with people. And that really sparked, you know, again, my interest in, you know, the human mind, human behavior. And I studied a lot of psychology courses in my undergrad too, but this was just like another level of actually being with people. Um, and then also working with my hands that also, you know, I, I was like, oh, I'm actually really good at this and working with my hands and learning about the body and energy and, you know, did some other extra training and craniosacral therapy and Reiki. And we learned acupuncture in our, in our training as well. Um, and so, you know, just really understanding the body on a really deep level. Um, and again, that program was really intense though. It was, you know, you talk to anyone that's gone through 
you know, a, yeah, doctorate program. It's a lot. And again, it was like, you know, just seeing the ways in which I was disconnecting from myself and, you know, needing to numb myself out almost to just get through it. Um, and, you know, and really not seeing some of the stuff that was under there, but it was in, it was within that program though, that they gave us free therapy, which, you know, so I started doing talk therapy for the first time at the beginning of the program and was doing it weekly for four years. And that was a big support to me um, and really helping me to get more of a foundation and understanding of myself as well. And, and really piquing my interest in terms of therapy and how that could be, how that could serve someone. Um, and then I feel like this is a long story, but I'll continue into you know, um, what brought me to the jungle. So it was actually, so when I was in third year of naturopathic medical school, um, I was paired in an intern team with Tanya, our mutual friend, um, who worked at, who worked at the temple. And, um, so she was in fourth year and I was in, in third year and, um, yeah, as an intern team. So essentially the fourth year is the primary clinician. And then the third year is the secondary clinician that is um, observing and helping out and in a, more of a learning role. And then the primary clinician is really, you know, taking control of the appointments. And, and then you also have a supervisor that's uh, already a clinician that's, you know, watching over you and just making sure you don't make any mistakes. And, um, you know, I, I, again, very observant. And I'd watched Tanya and the way that she was working with people. And I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Like she, the way that the questions that she knew how to ask and her presence with them and the compassion that she had and the safety, the container that she would create and the ways in which people would really open up. It was incredible to witness. And so I would, you know, after clinic shift, I'd usually drive her home and I, you know, I'm like, wow, what do you like? I want to learn what you're doing, like teach me. <laughs> and so then she started to open up to me of how she was working with this plant called ayahuasca. And I was like, hmm, I'd never heard of it before. And, you know, so I'm researching it and, um, you know, and then she's talking to me too about Gabor Mate and how she was apprenticing with him and, you know, sitting in ceremony with him. And, and I'd heard of him. Someone actually gave me his book, in first year of naturopathic medical school, when the body says no, and it changed a lot for me in terms of my own, my own process of my own physical ailments. And, and so I was like, Oh yeah, he's a very wise man. And, you know, I would love to, to learn from him too. And I think she brought me to one of his workshops that year too, and got to meet him and just was really, you know, inspired by the way that he, you know, his, his framework, it's like, Oh, this makes sense. Um, and then, you know, got to see her, you know, again, week after week working with these people. And what started to happen for me, though, is, you know, as I was observing, I was doing the thing that you're not supposed to do when you're a clinician. And I was, some of my material would come up when I'd be in that space. And, um, you know, I'd get triggered where I would like, all of a sudden I would notice, I mean, I didn't know what it was back then. Now, looking back, I was totally dissociating. And I'd be all in this like dysregulated state in my nervous system and not know what, what was happening. And then after we'd always have a debriefing after with just the clinicians and the supervisor. And, you know, I can remember one drive home being like, I don't know why I feel this way. And, 
And, you know, specifically one of the clients was, you know, she was, or sorry, one of the patients, yeah, patients, clients, she was going through some really traumatic memories from childhood. And I started to have a resurfacing of some of my own and was very confused because it was like, felt kind of dream state in a way. And so telling Tanya and she was like, you know, you probably have repressed memories and telling me all about that. And so that piqued my curiosity and, you know, started to work through that in therapy as well, but still it wasn't quite clear. And so that was like kind of the first time I started to notice there was a lot in my subconscious that I, I couldn't access with talk therapy, just didn't work. Um, And there was a limitation there. And so, you know, kind of bookmarked that and then finished school. And when I finished school, you know, I was, it was, I was on a high, you know, I had just finished this really, really tough program and, you know, was a doctor now and was going to start working at this clinic that, you know, I really had a lot of respect for and, um, you know, finished my board exams and all that and fin- passed them all and was in this like, you know, just really pumped up space of like, you know, a lot of external validation <laughs> and a lot of like praise from everyone else. And then, but then that started to fade. And then I was, you know, you don't get your board exam results for like a month after you finish. And then I chose to take a couple months off. And so it was the first time in my life where I had no school and no work. And I was just like alone with myself. (laughs) And, you know, and then my community also disappeared because, you know, everyone that I was spending time with these people every day for four years. And then all of a sudden, poof, they're all gone and people were off traveling. And, you know, and then my friends in Vancouver that weren't in my program, they were working. And so I was in this like really interesting liminal space and a lot was coming up. I was like, wow, I I don't actually like being with myself. Like this is so uncomfortable. (laughs) And like, what is all this? And, you know, I'd go to talk therapy, but again, it wouldn't access that point. Um, And then, you know, I'll spare some details, but there was definitely a lot of like, you know, kind of escaping, numbing out, a lot of partying, a lot of, you know, and people would be like, yeah, you deserve this. And you work so hard. (laughs) And, you know, part of me like, yeah, but like, it's happening a lot. And, you know, so it was, I was definitely, it was unhealthy um, in terms of like, just totally not wanting to feel what was there. Um, And then it's interesting, you know, I find when we're really out of alignment with, you know, what, like our path or, you know, and I think this is really subjective, but, you know, my view is when we're out of alignment, you know, our bodies or, you know, spirit or the universe will start to, to tell you that, you know, we'll give you signals that you're out of alignment. And, you know, some people will talk about it as like a spiritual two by four, or like a really big sign from the universe. And, you know, what, what happened with me, it was in, yeah, it was, so actually on my 29th birthday, I actually got assaulted. Um, and so it was, a, it was a really big wake up call for me. And I was, you know, I had been drinking a lot that night and still don't fully know what happened. Um, you know, and there was a lot of shame associated with that. I'm like this naturopathic doctor and I'm getting beat up and it was, it was really intense. And I, I got really hurt. Like I, you know, had a really bad concussion and tore a lot of neck muscles and fractured two ribs and separated my shoulder and 
but that was like the wake up call for me, um, in terms of like, Whoa, there is something going on subconsciously that is driving a lot of this. And I'm done with like allowing it to, to run my life. And this isn't, this isn't how I want to be. This isn't how I want to be with people. And, you know, I, I knew there was more and, you know, and I remember one of my teachers saying, you know, you can't take people further than you've ever gone. And so knowing the type of work I wanted to do with people, I knew I needed to go into, into the depths of myself and, you know, and then it was very interesting how, how once that happened and I made this, this conscious choice to want to go deeper, the like the plants, the universe, I don't know, I can't explain it. The mystery, the magic started happening and started having dreams about this plant I started having very, like, very interesting, very vivid dreams. And I would, it was interesting. I dream of Tanya and, and then she would message me, like just really interesting things would happen. And she ended up coming back into town and we met for coffee. And, you know, I just said, I, I think I'm ready because she was working at the temple at this time. And, and I was like, I think I'm ready to come down to the jungle and, and meet this plant and, and go in. And she was great. We've been waiting for you. And it's like, I'm facilitating with my dear friend, Diana, it's an all women's retreat. And it was a clear yes for me. And so I signed up and it was interesting. As soon as I signed up, my life started changing rapidly. Um, and then, so that's what got me there. That's yeah, long story, but <laughs> yeah, how I ended up at the temple. And then yeah, you were working there at the during the women's retreat and at the other center. And so I think that's when we met. I was there. I was working in the non-women's retreat. <laughs> yes. Yes, you were. Was <laughs> it was there, very exciting was there, to see a man when we were down there. <laughs> was there something specific that drew you to the the women's retreat? Because it's actually something I'm not super familiar with because I've never yeah. had the chance to, to be right. in this retreat. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, there's there was also talk of doing a men's retreat. And at first I was a little mm -hmm. hesitant about that because I actually didn't, for me, actually really understand, like, why would that be important? Since yeah. then, I've come to see, I think, as I began to look into that and, and see certain issues that, that, that men seem to be dealing with I, I can understand the 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 value in that but was there something specifically about the women's retreat that drew you or was it more just that that's what Tanya was running and so you just you signed up because she was <laughs> facilitating that I think a bit of both um you know for me I was terrified to work with this medicine um you know a lot of people wouldn't be able to tell by, you know, just looking at me or just knowing me, I, I got really good during my life at putting out a certain face. And, but there was a lot of dark shit that happened in my life. And so I was scared to relive it. You know, I, I read a lot um, because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a nerd and want to like learn about, you know, whatever I'm getting myself into. And so I was like, here, like reading all these stories about people reliving their trauma and was just terrified to go into it. And so for me, it was about safety, like what's going to feel the most safe, what's going to feel the most comfortable. And I think that was a big reason, you know, having Tanya there 
and Deanna, I was like, okay, I know that like I have some allies there. And then I, you know, the, the draw for all women, for me, again, safety is, you know, I was, I was, I was going down with an intention to really work through some sexual trauma. And so for me, you know, and, and wounding from men. And so for me, being in a container with just women was a really great first step. Um, you know, I've since then worked with men too. And, you know, that's been a big part of my healing as well. But for the first step for me, it was, it was just really important to be surrounded by women um, in that container. And like the, the, the thought of being with five female indigenous healers really, I don't know, it did something in my heart of like, oh, that sounds amazing. You know, these powerful women, you know, and getting to see them in their role. And I think for me, as you know, a woman in, in the profession I'm in, it, I was just really inspired by that too. And really wanting to see that firsthand, uh, you know, these doctors of the jungle, you know, really seeing them in action. Yeah. Can you, can you speak a bit about that experience and, you know, always with the caveat that you don't have to share anything you, you don't want yeah. to, but um, just maybe things that came up or things you discovered. I mean, I'm guessing that's the first time you, you had worked with ayahuasca. I don't know about other like quote unquote, what we would call plants. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but kind of what that experience was, was like for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting actually, I, because I'm, I'm right now I'm back in Vancouver in my apartment that I lived for eight years. Um, I've since then moved to California, but um, my family owns this apartment and I was going through some drawers and I found actually all my old journals from that time. And so about a week ago, I was actually reading about that, that journey, that whole time that I was in the jungle and so interesting <laughs> to reflect um, on how much has changed since then and the person that I am now versus then, and, but also really powerful to just read, you know, what I was going through at that time and, and how powerful that was. And for me, it was, it was the first, um, you know, plant medicine that I worked with. I, I mean, I, I think I'd had like maybe like a micro dose of psilocybin at some point at like a party or something, but I was actually always quite afraid of psychedelics, um, which is interesting because now I, I work in that field. Um, but I was, I was quite scared. I'd heard so many stories from friends and family of like, you're, it makes you lose your mind and you can't get out of it. And, you know, and then I think actually what allowed me to have the courage to come down there though, was I actually around the same time that I was having these dreams about ayahuasca and plants, I actually had my first ever LSD experience. Um, and it was in more of a recreational setting, but it was also really intentional. And that actually like just completely changed a lot for me too. And that allowed me to see like, wow, this is actually medicine. This isn't just something like that you just take for fun. Um, it changed my brain. Like that's how I, it was profound. And so I remember after that, going to the bookstore and buying a bunch of books on entheogens and, and plant medicines and, and just learning like what, what happened to my brain um, during that experience. And then that also allowed me to have some more courage to come down to the jungle too. And I, and so that experience of being down there, you know, it's definitely, I say now looking back, that was definitely like a really intense, <laughs> like first 
step in terms of like working with, um, you know, a consciousness expanding um, medicine. It definitely was super intense, but, you know, I was, I was really ready for it. And, you know, I often say um, I'm definitely like an ayahuasca success story in terms of like, and I, I really, you know, a lot of that though, I credit to like a lot of the therapy I did beforehand, um, a lot of the practices that I was, you know, involved in with yoga and trying to meditate um, and, you know, and also the people that brought me into that space, like being good friends with Tanya and um, just how important integration was for her is for her. And so really getting a lot of important guidance beforehand. So really, I really prepared um, and I was very like, diligent about my preparation in terms of like really creating a really like good space for myself to come back to and was really, you know, like really following everything that the, the temple recommendations of the diet and, and all the things. And, you know, so I, I feel like I was very ready to meet the medicine in a sense. I mean, again, that's just my perception of it. Um, and then observation from Tanya and Deanna, I remember them saying like, wow, you're very ready for the medicine. And so it was, you know, it, it was really intense. Um, very, very, very strong. Um, no matter how much I would drink, I would just be completely um, blasted, I guess I, the word I would call it into a different dimension and um, experiencing a lot of um, physical physical symptoms too during the experiences too. So I know it's different for everyone. Um, for me, it was definitely very physical, a lot of purging, a lot of body pain, uh, a lot of crying, a lot of shaking. Um, and, you know, and, and, and intense would be the word. Um, but it was really profound too. You know, I think in those ceremonies, you know, I really got to feel what it felt like to feel self-love. That's the perception that I had of it, of like, I got to feel this energy that I had never felt before um, that really ignited something in me. And I, I really, you know, I view healing as well as like this coming back to ourselves, coming home. And I think I had just gotten so far out, so disconnected that that retreat really helped to help me to connect back with myself and my, you know, my spirit. Um, that was the perception I had. And I really, you know, I really got to see the ways in which I was disconnected. It was almost like I got to see just like a review of my life in a way. And it really took me back to, I mean, I had one ceremony where I really, I mean, who knows, but my perception was that I was like back, you know, being born essentially. It was like, it was a very, um, yeah, looking back, I was just seeing the conditions I was in when I was inside of my mom and then what my birth was like, and I was a premature and just what the conditions were like after I was born too, and really seeing the ways in which my nervous system got wired. Um, and then the impact that had the ripple effect throughout my childhood, my adolescence, my teenage years. And, you know, and I, I had, done been doing a lot of you know like inquiry into a lot of that stuff before going down and so for me, for me it was just really amplifying it all and I was just really seeing really clearly um and there was a lot of emotion with that too a lot of grief 
on the ways in which I was, you know, hurting myself in a way, you know, from that place of disconnection and just, you know, not really caring um, about myself or my body and not really being able to see myself the way other people saw me. And, you know, really in the space of a lot of anxiety and depression. And so it really helped to, yeah, really connect me back with myself and just to really see myself differently and have a different, you know, just a different respect. I felt like I gained a lot of self-respect after that retreat as well. And yeah, so that's kind of the essence of it. It was very profound. <laughs> Do you have a sense of, <clears throat> you said there was a lot of physical pain and, and nausea, mm-hmm. vomiting. One of the things I, I've often heard from people who've worked with maybe more synthetic things like, like DMT, they, they would say that's a reason they prefer it is because there's no necessarily like physical symptoms. There's no purging. And to them, that seems like kind of something extraneous that can just mm-hmm. like, why, why would I want to go purge when I can just have this experience and, and bypass that and not necessarily bypassing in a bad way, but just not having to experience that. Did you see from that experience, there was some benefit to that physical pain or that, that suffering, the, the nausea, the vomiting, uh, or did you just see it as a side effect or was there something in that, that you, you also learned from? Yeah, it's uh, a good question. And, you know, I think, I mean, I've learned so much since then too. And, you know, I think, you know, I really see, cause I, you know, I, I, I won't say struggle with, but I deal with chronic pain on a daily basis. And I really see pain and I really see the physical ailments as teachers. Um, you know, it definitely, you know, my body has been my biggest teacher and really allows me to do the work that I do with people. Um, and in terms of that, you know, that experience of the physical pain and the purging, the throat, the vomiting, the diarrhea, the shaking, the crying, you know, I really, I really see that as part of the experience of part of the healing, um, you know, and I think myself, and again, I think it's different for everyone, but I know for myself, I'm, I'm so open and so sensitive that, you know, the ways in which energy, I feel it in my body, um, the ways in which, you know, when I'm, I, I don't know if the words absorb, but I, I take in a lot. Um, and then there's also, you know, I, I view emotions as energy, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, I was reading actually in my journal, there was something I wrote when I was on the retreat. It was like, I got so good at stuffing it all down, stuffing it all in. I got so good at, um, being strong from the outside. And I just have, and I was writing, I was like, I have so much, I can feel how much darkness there is in there and how much of these dark emotions I just didn't deal with. And I suppressed down, I took medication. I, you know, I, I pretended everything was all good. And, you know, often when I'm working with people, I explain this, you know, emotions are energy and, you know, just the same as like, if you think of, you know, like a boiling pot on the stove, if you, you know, think of the science of energy, if you, if you close that system, you know, the chaos, the molecules, they start to move quicker and quicker. And then eventually it'll, you know, it'll find a way to, to blow and, or to escape in some way. And so, you know, I really see that as, you know, 
when we are stuffing this energy down, it has to go somewhere. And, you know, often, you know, in my experience, it, it, it was coming out in you know, in certain ways and certain physical ailments, you know, I, I somaticize a lot. And so, you know, if I notice, if I'm not expressing my anger, or if I'm not expressing my sadness, I'll start to get really intense pain or headaches or stomach aches or diarrhea, or, you know, it'll, it'll manifest in my body and it'll come out in a certain way, trying to get my attention. And so I really see, you know, that purge as a way to, to move that energy, um, to move that energy out of your body. And, you know, for me, it was, it was essential, you know, and I am definitely uncomfortable, <laughs> but essential, you know, to, to, to come out so that, you know, that's not stuck in my body. Um, and so I really, you know, when I'm working with people now, it's like, I really encourage that, you know, and, and I remember it was the same way that, you know, I remember, <laughs> I can remember being in the, the bathroom at the, at the temple during one ceremony. And I was, <laughs> I was purging from both ends and I was shaking, violently shaking on the toilet. And it was a lot, it was overwhelming. And I remember I asked for help and Tanya came in and that's just a very intimate experience. She was smoking the pacho while I was on the toilet, shaking, vomiting, crying and <laughs> diarrhea, all the things. And I remember looking at her being like, is this too much? This feels like too much. And she's like, no, this is just what's happening. It's got to come out. It's got to come out. And she's like, just shake it out. And then I remember that moment. I was like, oh, right. It's just got to come out. And so it shifted my relationship with it. And I, you know, I was like, okay. And now it's interesting when I, because I work a lot now, like personally with, you know, psilocybin and when I'm having a, a psilocybin journey, I'll, I'll shake violently and I've learned to actually like it now. I'm like, yeah, shake that out, get that out. And, you know, it's, for me, it's my nervous system is like organizing. That's kind of how I picture it. It's like, it's, it's shaking out some sort of energy, some sort of, you know, emotion, who knows what that is, but there's something there. And I've, I've learned to really trust it. Um, even though it's uncomfortable. Yeah. What do you think is that balance? Because often in with trauma or, or even like something like fear, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it seems like very often the, the beginning of that is, is an avoidance pattern of something. And then, but it seems to be that the more successful treatments of that is beginning to acclimate to that, whether it's in slow steps uh, for some people, maybe through a plant medicine ceremony or maybe in one huge revelational step. Um, But I was just thinking about with the, the women's retreats, because that's always something I found like interesting that that balance between, because it seems like that's a very common theme of why women come down to women's retreats, because as you described, there's a sense of safety, there's a sense of they, they can let go and, and not have to worry about potentially certain things that, that had, brought them there in the first place. But then that balance of how do you begin to acclimate that? How do you begin to introduce a man and then like, take what have I learned? And can I, can I, can I bring it into this lived experience into this world, worldly experience without regenerating that same trauma or fear or whatever that is? Yeah. So I think, I think you're pointing to something very important here that I think took me a while to learn. Um, you know, and I think, um, cause I've studied somatic experiencing and I've also done Gabor's compassion inquiry 
course as well, or year long training. And, you know, I've learned a lot. I mean, I think it's been a lot of my own journey. I think definitely I've learned the most from in terms of how I've integrated that into, you know, my life and, you know, this concept of that they often use in somatic experiencing called titration and, you know, really working with like the nervous system and, and, you know, yeah, that this balance, you know, I think looking back, you know, I really trust that everything that happened in my path happened for a reason in terms of really allowing me to do the work I do now. And, and, but, you know, looking back, I'm like, hmm, you know, I think knowing what I know now, I actually feel like, you know, maybe starting with say like an MDMA assisted therapy, one-on-one session with, with a guide or a therapist, maybe would have made the integration a little bit more smooth. Um, or, you know, would have been easier on my nervous system, um, in terms of the after effect of it and coming back. Cause you know, that retreat was so much for my nervous system, all that I was purging and releasing. And it was a lot to, to, to navigate and, and to integrate afterwards. And, you know, knowing what I know now about, you know, some earlier, more developmental trauma in terms of like the way that someone's nervous system is. And, and then you go and work with something like ayahuasca or psilocybin right away it can really, you know, create more dysregulation or can actually re-traumatize in a way. Um, and I know there's different schools of thought on this, but I think, you know, for myself, like there were times where I think that that did happen and where it, it went a little bit too far and it was really hard to come back to this reality and hard to really integrate into my life. And, you know, I think there was, I think looking back, it would have been helpful to build more resource, um, you know, before and during and after. And um, also this concept of titration. And that's, I've been actually, you know, learning a lot more about MDMA assisted therapy as well, and really seeing the ways in which it, it can really slow things down. And there's a way that you can, you know, titrate the release titrate the, the purge in a sense in terms of like that shaking or release or um that you know allowing yourself to go into some of the emotions that may be stored there but in a way that is really quite safe and is more slowed down and you can also like pause and create more bringing in of a resource in a sense um, and when i say resource i mean you know just learning different tools like you know being able to you know, orient in your space or, you know, things that can help you to ground um, and, you know, working with breath practices or working with movement practices. Um, You know, I often, when I'm working with people, I'm also bringing in a lot of imagery um, and, you know, a lot of, um, you know, just, yeah, just tools that are helping to ground the experience. Um, Because I think sometimes with these you know, medicines like ayahuasca can really like blow someone out in some ways. And, you know, is that helpful? You know, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, I've also, you know, work with people who have gone to retreats and completely blown themselves out and, you know, come back and their, their nervous system is very dysregulated and they're having a really hard time, you know, going back to, you know, the work that they're doing or, you know, the community they're in and, they're in need of some support to, you know, ground themselves into their experience into like to process what, what just happened too. And also, you know, and that's where, you know, I also integrate, I think in my work, like I'm 
I'm bringing in a number of different tools that I work with too. And so I'll often, you know, bring in certain plants, um, you know, like ashwagandha and holy basil and things that are like nourishing for the system as well. Um, so I think it's important to have a lens that is really balanced in a way too. And I, and it's, you know, it's different for everyone too. You know, I think that that's a key, a key point is like every person is so different. Everyone has different experiences they're they're bringing and a different you know body a different sensitivity level and different you know resource and support and so I think it's really important to you know support you know each individual person um, and have it be really holistic too and really seeing you know how to create that balance for someone in terms of that integration support after I think I I think I answered your question (laughs) kind of a roundabout way but you mentioned in the beginning of the interview some of the work of your grandmother, like the singing mm. and chanting. And um, are, are you able to elaborate on that? Because that sounds really interesting. And, and anything you remember that you you took from that, or that, that you can speak about? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. It's something that I'm I'm learning more about, and it's too bad. You know, all of my grandparents have passed now, and so you know, I there's like that part of me that's like, oh, I wish I would have asked more questions then, um, you know, and I still, I have an intention of eventually I would love to, to go down to Benevento and, and, and see if I can connect with a medicine woman down there just to learn a bit more about the traditions down there. And I was actually, it's funny that you say that I've got this book right next to me um, that I was gifted to for my birthday. And it's, it's the it's Italy's witches and medicine women. Hmm. And it talks a lot about that region and, you know, some of the practices that they had. And to me, it's like, I really see, I see them as curanderas in a way, you know, as medicine women, you know, they're, it's different in terms of, you know, they're not working with um, ayahuasca, but they're working with different plants and different, you know, where they're connecting with, um, they're connecting with something bigger than us, you know, with spirit and with, you know, um, the guidance that comes through. And my grandmother, she would always, she was, yeah, she was, she would tell me, you know, all sorts of stories about some of the good witches and some of the bad witches who would come and put a curse on her sister. And then her father had to trap the witch and that she made there, he made the witch promise that, that he, she would protect our family for seven generations and she would talk about how the witches would come and they would steal the horses at night and then in the morning they would go and the horses would be all sweaty and all their hair was like in these tiny tiny braids they would braid the horse's hair for what purpose I don't know um you know again I I wish I would have asked more questions um but I you know I really see like my grandmother's parents, like, and she, she mentioned that her mother was a midwife in the community and would deliver babies. And I think my grand, my great grandfather would also deliver like animal babies, like on the farms and stuff around. And um, it sounded like they were deeply connected to themselves and then also deeply connected to something bigger than them, spirit and connected to the plants too. You know, they would work with different different plants, Um, you know, not necessarily psychoactive, but, you know, medicinal plants in terms of their healing. I think that's, you know, they, 
that's that's the oldest form of medicine right is like we didn't have pharmaceuticals pharmaceuticals got developed from a lot of plant constituents um and so you know i think again yeah it's like just that that ancient you know mind frame of you know healing um really looking at the whole person and i really see them as like naturopathic doctors of their time essentially um and so yeah i again i don't have too many like specific stories i know i can remember actually my mom probably has more stories i know she's talked about how whenever she would have a headache her grandmother would hold this plate of oil over her head and sing this chant in italian and would cut the oil with scissors and do all this all this stuff and again I don't know what she was doing but she was channeling something through and whether it's working with intention or clearing they often would call it bad energy um and and then the headache would go away my mom said she was always very skeptical but it was just interesting how her headache would go away (laughs) um and they would do you know like I remember I think it was if I was I had like the hiccups or something. I remember my grandma would say, well, someone's talking about you. You need to think about who's talking about you and then they'll go away. (laughs) And like, so things like that, like these kind of these superstitions and um, yeah, there's like more mystical elements that I think I find really fascinating so much that we don't know. Um, But I, I find super interesting. Yeah. So if, um, if people aren't familiar with what a naturopathic doctor is, how, how would you describe that? And, and how does that differ from what, you know, so many people consider a doctor being an, an allopathic doctor? Yeah. Yeah. So how I, how I view it, uh, is essentially, you know, we're trained to do everything that like a general practitioner would be able to do. So like a family doctor, family physician, Um, in terms of, you know, everything from, you know, diagnostics to pharmaceuticals, Um, you know, we even had to learn how to do pap exams and rectal exams and, you know, all the physical exams um, and become very proficient at it as well. Um, And then we learned a number of other modalities too. So we also learned uh, in our program, we learned traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, we learned herbal medicine really extensively, we learned chiropractic manipulations. We learned how to adjust people's spines as well. Um, soft tissue mobilization as well. So more hands-on with therapeutic techniques, um, extensive training in nutrition and nutraceuticals, orthomolecular medicine. We also learn IV therapy. So how to put in IVs and do different nutrient IVs. Um, and then homeopathy is a part of it as well. And then counseling was a big part of it as well. And I think, I think that's it. I, pro- I could be missing something. It's a lot though. <laughs> and, um, and then we also, you know, there's an option actually, no, we have to learn about pharmaceuticals as well, but there's an option to get your pharmaceutical license as well. It's another kind of course and exam that you have to write. And so I ended up going that route as well. Cause I wanted to have that knowledge and have the option if I wanted to prescribe an antibiotic or something like that. Um, and it's, it serves me now, you know, in California, I'm licensed there as well. And so, and I also have my pharmaceutical license there too, and, and my DEA license. And so I can also prescribe ketamine there. And so that's in the clinic that I work with there, I'm doing ketamine assisted therapy with people. Um, so just another kind of caveat, I think, you know, with naturopathic medicine, 
there's so many options. It's so broad, which I think has its pros and cons. Um, and I think one of the disadvantages, you know, compared to, you know, allopathic medical doctors is we don't get the, like the internship in the hospital. So we're not getting to see, you know, multiple, multiple cases of, you know, emergency medicine and all that. And, and so there's definitely a lack there, but what I think where we do shine is more in the, like, you know, the chronic conditions and really, you know, preventative medicine and also really like getting to spend time with our patients and really getting to see them and meet them and, you know, really individualized functional medicine and very holistic too. So, you know, I'm fortunate. I have so many tools I can pull from when I'm working with people. Um, and yeah, and I think, you know, it's one of the philosophy and this is also leads into why I was so passionate about coming down to the jungle was, you know, one of the main principles of naturopathic medicine is to treat the cause, treat the root cause. And for me, you know, I was really seeing, you know, and I, I saw this in my practice too, you know, the root cause for a lot of people is, is, you know, deeper mental, emotional, um, you know, issues or trauma. And, you know, that was going to the jungle and really diving into that was me going into the root cause, you know, of a lot of my physical ailments. And then I see that a lot in my practice. And that's, that's why I've actually shifted my practice a lot to just mainly, I mean, I call it integrative mind body medicine, essentially, you know, focusing more on the mental emotional realm, and how that integrates into the physical symptoms in the body. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I, and I think there's a space for, for both for allopathic medicine and, and naturopathic medicine. I really think my ideal would be for us to, to work together, you know, and I really, cause I think we both have different strengths. Um, and I think, you know, it's, I'm really grateful for some of my friends that are medical doctors that, you know, respect my work and I respect their work and we get to collaborate together and it's a really nourishing relationship. And, and then there's some medical doctors that like think we're completely, um, completely, you know, kind of bullshit and, and all that. Yeah. It, it's really interesting. Cause I, I remember, um, you know, I think one of the beauties about not just medicine, but life in general is, is kind of specialization. And, and the more society advances, we, we are able to specialize in things more and more. And, and that really just opens up tremendous knowledge and, and the ability to, to really do amazing things. But it seems like one of the downsides of that is we begin to lose things like looking at things in a broader picture. And uh, I remember I was in New York in, in Manhattan in Times Square. So this is like, I mean, I hope no one gets offended by this, but that's kind of like the epicenter <laughs> of the world. Um, and I, I broke my nose in jujitsu. I was practicing jujitsu and it was like, I don't know, seven o'clock at night. And it, like my nose was clearly broken. It was like on the side of my face. And I, I went to the, the ER and in, in, I forget what hospital it was, but you know, again, this is some super advanced hospital in New York city in Manhattan near Times Square. And, and I went there and, and I was like, I showed up and, and I was like, Hey, I, I broke my nose. Uh, I need it fixed. They're like, oh, okay. You know, just wait over there. So I was waiting in this waiting room and, and finally this nurse came and she's like, what's the problem? And I'm like, I broke my nose. <laughs> it's clearly in the side of my face. She's like, hmm, yeah, uh, we should probably run some x-rays on that. Um, I'm like, 
if that's what you need to do, I, I don't really want any x-rays. I just want my nose <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, fixed. It's like, okay, let me, let me go get another nurse. And, and I'm like, okay. So I wait like another half an hour and then another nurse comes and she's like, yeah, how can I help you? I'm like, uh, my nose is broken. Um, <laughs> could you please reset it? And she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, uh, I'm going to have to get the doctor. I'm like, okay. So I wait like another half an hour. Yeah. Finally, a doctor comes and he's like, uh, yeah, what can I do for you? I'm like, I broke my nose. Could you please fix mm-hmm. it? He, he takes a look at it. He's like, yeah, you know, usually we, we run some x-rays and, and, and stuff, but it, it does look like it's broken. Uh, and, and I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I also, to be honest, I didn't come for a diagnosis. I just came for it to be uh, fixed. Uh, Cause like, mm-hmm. I can't breathe, you know, it's clearly on the side of my face. He's like, yeah, I, I don't think we need to run any x-rays, um, but I'm not able to set it. Uh, we, we need to see an ear, nose and throat specialist. Oh, no. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Uh, can you put me in touch with one of those? And he's, he's, he says, um, Yes, but because uh, this was like a, a Friday evening at like, I don't know, it's probably nine okay. o'clock in the evening by now. Mm-hmm. And he's like, there's none in and the next available one because they only work, I guess, Monday to Friday is Monday at whatever, 9 a.m. Oh, wow. or something. And I'm like, so I have to wait two and a half, three days before I get to see someone to fix my nose. And, uh, and that's what I did. And but I remember thinking like, how crazy, like I'm in the, probably one of the biggest hospitals in the world and in wow. one of the epicenters of the world. Mm-hmm. And this most basic thing, fixing a nose, yeah. nobody could do. There was thousands of personnel there and nobody knew how to fix a nose. Oh, yeah. And I remember thinking of my, my great grandfather who was an osteopath and, hey, no way. you know, at that point, I mean, you know, this was a while ago, but I think he charged like $2 a visit. <laughs> and he would go in, you'd pay him the $2 and he, he, he fixed you, you know? Yeah. And it was yeah. also really interesting because uh, he knew people and, and it was also during the era of World War II. So a lot of people like gas was being rationed. And so he did house calls, which I think mm-hmm. almost no doctors do anymore. Yeah. And I think there was something really profound about that because it was very holistic in a way because he would go to people's houses. He would see where yeah. they lived. He got to see their families. He, mm-hmm. And there was a lot of observation that happened with yeah. the, the holistic part of, 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 of a human being. Um, yeah. It wasn't just someone coming to his office. It's like, well, how is their house? Like, is it neat? Is it Ooh, messy? Yeah. Are, they, mm-hmm. are they rich? Are they poor? Like, you know, are they, do they seem like they have enough food? Like, you know, what's going on in all these different aspects of their lives? And mm-hmm. so I guess there's a little bit long-winded, but, but it seems like one of the, the things we've lost with specialization, which is so amazing, is this ability mm-hmm. to look at things in a general sense. Yeah. And, you know, going back to that example of the broken nose, like, again, in this hospital with thousands and thousands of people working there, nobody knew how to fix a nose. Whereas my great grandfather, who was yeah. just one person, would have fixed it in literally two minutes. Yeah. Um, I mean, even in a lot of jujitsu studios, there's yeah, some guy yeah, who will just reset your nose. You know, he'll stick mm-hmm. two pieces mm-hmm. of wood up there or two pens or something and just fix it. And, you know, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, but that seems to be one of the, the real benefits, as you were describing, of, of, of that idea of naturopathic medicine is just that 
that generalized sense, which, which seems to be yeah. really missing in, in today's society. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think, you know, I love that your grandfather was an osteopath. I, I love osteopathy. I find it's super helpful for my own system. I, I, I was actually really excited that I was back in Vancouver and got to see my osteopath. Um, it's, I find it really supportive. Um, and it, you know, how I really see it is, you know, osteopaths are really seeing how all the different systems in the body connect together. And I think that's somewhat of what you're speaking to as well, too, of how, when it's like this kind of very specialized and very like segregated approach of like, you know, maybe, I don't know, but I, I, you know, I think a lot of say like a cardiologist really focuses on like the heart and doesn't maybe doesn't necessarily think about the nervous system or think about, you know, the other systems in the body that all intermingle. And I think that's one of the advantages that, you know, I, I have with my education is, you know, really seeing how all the systems come together and, you know, and be able to, you know, step back and observe. And I remember one of my, you know, the, one of the the elders um, in naturopathic medicine that was one of my supervisors when I was in school, he always said, you know, the first thing you always do is you observe and you observe, you know, you observe how do they walk in the room? How do they appear when they sit down? Do they make eye contact? What are their clothes like? Are they, you know, are they well-kept or are they like, you know, what's their hygiene like, you know, what, how, when they speak, what is their voice? What's the tone of their voice like? You know, and, and I really, you know, that is, a, you know, I think that was a really important lesson for me to learn at that time. And I think really serves me now. And I think I have an advantage in a sense of, you know, I'm very sensitive and so, and also, you know, just very vigilant. And so I, I, one of my gifts is I, I, I can hyper attune to things and hyper attune to people and I can pick up on very subtle things. Um, that, you know, serves me in my work. Um, but it's a lot of observing, you know, I'm really observing people and I'm really observing, you know, how they, their mannerisms, you know, when do they look away when they talk, do they talk about something that's very emotional and then they start, their eyes start darting. I'm like, hmm, there's something there. Or, you know, their voice shakes when they talk about a certain topic. And, and so I think that's, again, you know, one of the advantages of, you know, holistic medicine is really, you know, being able to really see how everything really intertwines and, and observing, you know, the whole person, you know, not just like this one little aspect. Um, and also, you know, I think also what you're speaking to is almost like this well-roundedness of, you know, like, you know, that sometimes is lacking in certain you know, settings of professions, like the fact that no one could set your nose, like that's kind of wild to me. It's like, it seems like, I mean, I, we learned how to like, we learned how to like set, you know, arms and how to reset that, you know, I, I don't think I would feel quite comfortable doing it because I've never done it. But if I was in a situation emergency, I would definitely step up and do it. Um, you know, it's like, but I think that's, again, there's, there's pros and cons to everything. And I think one of the pros though of learning so much was that I have a lot of number of tools that I can pull from when I'm working with people um, that I think can be an advantage. You mentioned that a lot of your, your work, what you, you've begun to find yourself doing is focusing more on, on this like mental, emotional aspect and yeah. um, certainly in my work, 
I would say that's also like the, the vast majority of the problems I see are rising in that realm. And, and even yeah. to take it to another level, which may sound strange to people, but because I think most people now realize, like, obviously there's, there's an importance in that mind-body mm -hmm. connection. I mean, yeah. even what I remember when I was younger, even in, in a lot of Western medicine, that wasn't really something that was spoken about. A no. lot. And, mm -hmm. and now it seems like it is, it, it seems like that's mm -hmm. something that's just more generally recognized. Um, but even in a lot of the work I do, and I remember it was very strange for me kind of when I first heard it, because the, a lot of the, the doctors would speak about this idea that, that, yes, there are three levels of healing. There's the, the physical, the mental, emotional, mm -hmm. and also the spiritual. Right. And, and that seemed a little foreign to me. Um, mm -hmm. But the more I've done this work, the, the more I've actually begun to understand that. And, and in a way, maybe even seeing that as... <laughs> you know, even something that's, that's, that's really lacking in people um, beyond the mental, right. emotional, and, and almost in that way, like that, what's lacking in spirit is, is then causing these mental, emotional disturbances, which then cause physical disturbances. Um, so what is it, what do you find are, are like common things on that mental, emotional level that are, are causing people illness or disease or, um, because it also seems like, like so much of what we talk about in terms of illness, like obviously you mentioned, like if our arm is broken, like that mm -hmm. seems like a pretty clear physical ailment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, maybe there was some mental thing that was going on when that happened, that's possible. Um, but I think so much of when we talk about illness, really, especially more and more, what we're talking about are chronic ailments, things that that are there day in and day out and there's not necessarily like a simple pharmaceutical treatment that we can take mm -hmm. that as you said is getting to the root of that issue so mm -hmm. what do you what do you think is happening on that mental emotional level that is causing so many of these these ailments that that, that so many people are dealing with mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think that's it's a really big topic <laughs> in terms of i think there's there's a there's a lot that can be said there. I'll try to summarize. Um, you know, I think I really like what you pointed to around this, this mind, body, spirit connection and the ways in which that, you know, these layers of healing. And, you know, I think in the Western culture, you know, I think there is a lot of absence of the spiritual connection. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, I think the word that comes to mind is just disconnection. Um, that really leads to a lot of these, you know, more mental, emotional um, manifestations, and then also physical man manifestations as well. I think it's all interconnected. Um, I think a lot of what, you know, from my, what I've observed in my own path, and then also people that I work with is, you know, um, you can just think about, you know, because I dive a lot into like more developmental, you know, I've learned a lot about more developmental you know, trauma or, you know, dysregulation and, you know, the, the Gabor's whole theory on attachment versus authenticity and how that impacts someone's mental, emotional space and connection with themselves. And, um, you know, I think it's all, it's all really connected, but I think it starts at the root of, you know, even just the conditions when you're inside of your mother, you know, what is that like, you know, is it, is it a, a very stressful environment in terms of, is the mother very, 
you know, anxious and on alert and, you know, are there, you know, stress hormones that are pumping through her body that are, you know, going into the fetus and that the fetus is experiencing. Again, there's a lot of different schools of thoughts around that, but it's like, okay, well, how is this fetus's nervous system developing? And, you know, and I, I say this to not put blame on mothers. I think, I think mothers and parents get a lot of, you know, blame essentially. And it's like, you know, I really am careful with my language around that because I don't want to shame anyone, but, you know, there's the reality of like what's happening in terms of the physiology. And, you know, I think most people are just trying to do the best that they can with what they know. And I think that that's something that I'm super passionate about is educating more and more people too to learn these concepts of, you know, the nervous system, what's happening on a physical physiological level with the hormones in the body. And then also these more subtle, subtle, you know, concepts of, you know, how you attune to your children and, you know, how, you know, when, when children are not fully able to be in their authentic expression of themselves, what happens in terms of, you know, this disconnect, you know, if there isn't this attachment there and this attunement and this, you know, being, allowing the child to be in their full expression, the child brain, you know, the child starts to believe, okay, well, it's actually not okay for me to be in this, in this, you know, part of myself. It's not okay for me to, you know, an example would be if a child is, you know, expressing their anger and the parent is like, stop being angry and like shuts them down or maybe like ignores them and, you know, kind of punishes them in a way. Then the child, you know, the child's brain starts to, you know, believe, you know, and this is all on a subconscious level. It's like, okay, there's something like I'm not getting love and attention when I'm doing this. So I need to not do that. And then child shuts down that part of themselves and learns how to please the parents, learns how to get love and attention. And so there's a sacrifice, the sacrifice of authenticity in order to get these attachment needs met of like, you know, love and acceptance. And, you know, within that though, there's a disconnect from, from authentic self, disconnect from self. And, you know, I think that that, you know, over time, if that's happening a lot, you know, it can really create, you know, I know in my own experience, I was just very like, I don't know, like, you know, who I am, like, I'm, you know, I feel like I got so disconnected from myself, from my center, because I was just really trying to please everyone around me. And, you know, I see this a lot with people that I work with. And, and I think that leads to a lot of, you know, depression and anxiety, Um, I think that it creates this, you know, when we're disconnected from ourselves, it's really hard for us to be present with people in our life. It's really hard to be present in our our lives, essentially, and engaged. Um, It's hard to make decisions from a disconnected place because you're making decisions based off of, okay, um, I need this person to approve of this, so I'm going to make this decision, and then you're living out of alignment you know, this term alignment of like, okay. And then that I think creates a lot of, you know, disruption for people when they're really living out of alignment of what's true for them. Um, And, you know, I think that that creates a lot of, um, you know, dissatisfaction. I see that a lot with people. Like, I feel like I have no meaning. I feel like I have no purpose. I, 
you know, I hate my job. I, you know, it goes on and on and on. And I think oftentimes that the root is there's this, you know, deep disconnection from what they actually like, what they actually love. And some people don't even know what that is, you know? And so I think part of the healing is this, like I said earlier, like this coming home, coming home to yourself, coming home to your, your center, your spirit, your soul, whatever you want to call it, you know, the essence of who you are. And I think that that essence of who we are gets really lost. And I think that, you know, for some people, some people can stay connected to it, but I haven't met that many. Um, And I think in our Western society, you know, we're in a very disconnected culture, you know, we're, we're, we're in a society right now, like, you know, where it promotes disconnection. It promotes like numbing your feelings, numbing out, you know, Um, it promotes like, you know, change who you are, look this way, you know, it's like, it's really, I really think we're in a very sick society, um, you know, and I think it, it's really creating a lot of suffering for a lot of people, a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression. And, um, and then that has such an impact on the physiology. And I really love, you know, Gabar's work on, you know, when the body says no and the cost of hidden stress. And I actually believe like the root of most people's physical ailments is stress. And, you know, I can take that deeper. It's not, it's, it's not necessarily just stress. I think it's important to look at what's happening in the physiology in terms of the ways in which so many people are stuck in this like fight or flight mode um, where their sympathetic nervous system is just in overdrive and the, the chemical cocktails that get released when we're in that space, you know, wreaks havoc in the body. I often say to my patients, it causes a shit storm in the body and it affects, you know, the, your, your other hormone cycles, it affects your immune system it affects your ability to, you know, regulate your nervous system and to think clearly because it kind of takes, it messes with the prefrontal cortex and your amygdala is very stimulated and your fear response. And it's like survival mode basically. And I don't actually think our bodies were, designed you know to 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 put up with what it, what we put it through in you know in our day-to-day society right now especially right now with the pandemic and all the fear and the you know i think it's really making people really sick you know not just the virus i think it's you know the stress and i just see it you know my you know, cause I work mainly, you know, in the realm of yeah, mental health and, you know, and some supporting people and, you know, a lot of people are really struggling right now. And, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with like this kind of, you know, original disconnection and then also, you know, the impact of chronic stress on the body. And then, you know, and I, I work a lot with people with autoimmune conditions as well and other chronic illnesses. And a lot of it is like, some form of manifestation of, you know, chronic stress or this, like, you know, the ways in which, you know, we, another example can be like, you know, oftentimes I see this, um, especially with autoimmune conditions. And I, you know, I have an autoimmune condition as well. So I, I speak from experience in terms of, you know, I think there's ways in which when we can't say no, and we have a lack of boundaries or, you know, we're so preoccupied with getting that, you know, love and attention and acceptance, you know, we, we abandon ourselves. We abandon our, 
our bodies essentially. And we don't listen to those little whispers and we push ourselves really hard and, and then we get sick. And I think it's the body's way of like, Hey, like, listen to me, rest, rest. And, you know, these, usually it's whispers and then it starts to get louder and louder. And this, you know, it's, it's been a constant learning for myself, (laughs) you know, and I, I used to get to the point where I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't listen. And then I ended up in the hospital, I'd end up in the hospital with like a kidney infection or something, you know, just like completely ignoring my body. And I learned that from, you know, my mother, my mother's mother. It's like, you know, it's a generational thing too. It's like, you know, I think what people have been doing for a long time. And I think it is an adaptation in terms of like, you know, I think something that's not spoken about a lot is these, you know, as humans, we have like these, these really deep needs that, you know, it's like, yes, we need food, we need water, we need safety, we need shelter, but we also need love and we need connection and we need to be seen and, you know, we need acceptance. And I think that's a big piece there that is missing, um, that causes a lot of dysfunction for people. Um, and yeah, I just really see the ways in which, And I see this more often with women. There's like just a massive self-abandonment, like just abandoning like all sense of self-power and, you know, abandoning the, what the cues in your body are saying and, you know, just to please or to, to get acceptance or to get ahead in some way or, you know, this like survival mode. But I think it really creates a lot of illness in the body. And, you know, and then there's also like, you know, dissociation and how, you know, that's like, that's like an ultimate, you know, kind of disconnect from the body. And it, again, it's not a bad thing because it's a protective mechanism. It's a way that our, we learn how to survive at a younger age. You know, if something's so overwhelming to a little child, it makes sense that they would kind of take off in a sense in terms of like dissociate from the overwhelming sensations in the body. Um, but within that dissociation, there's an inability to be present and an inability to engage with people and live fully. And, you know, I think that was a big part of my story. I was very good at dissociating. Um, and within that too, whenever the dissociation is happening is you're missing the cues from your body as well. And I actually, I believe the body has so much wisdom. And again, this is a bigger topic, but it's like, you know, there's our body remembers everything and, you know, our mind will forget because it's a, it's a survival adaptation to help us to get through something that's challenging, but our body remembers it all. And I think that's part of, you know, working in these more altered states of consciousness, we can access that knowledge, that wisdom in the body, which I think has a lot of, you know, that's where a lot of the healing is in terms of it's bringing you back, bringing you back to yourself, bringing you back to that wisdom in yourself and, you know, back to your, yeah, your center essentially. Um, Yeah. Yeah, And again, I don't know if I answered your question, but (laughs) a number of things there. You mentioned this idea of the kind of the, the response of the pandemic and, and in a way it seems like it's that same thing where, if the only concern is the physical, that being people getting sick on a physical level, um, it's also like, it's a very reductionist way of looking at things. Like it's not mm-hmm. looking 
at the mental emotional aspect the spiritual aspect like what does it mean to be a human what does it mean to be alive Uh, what happens when you lock people down what happens when you tell people to stay in the room what happens when you say you can't see your grandmother like there are all these other consequences that that aren't Mm -hmm. seen on this Mm -hmm. purely reductionist way of looking at things of of what does health mean and if health only means like you don't get a physical ailment then it makes sense. But if you see health as something greater than that, then it, it, that way of looking at the world begins to fall short very quickly. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. And this is, you know, I, I feel very passionate about this because it's something that, you know, not a lot of people get a, a window into, you know, and I am seeing this on a daily basis, how the how this pandemic and everything is impacting people's mental health and it's not okay in terms of you know the impact that lockdowns are having and isolation is having on people it's it's horrible you know and I'm I have a number of people that are in crisis that I work with right now and who you know are really in a state of you know just desperation and you know um really just seeing the impact of, yeah, not having this connection, this human connection and, you know, the fear from like the news and yes, I understand, you know, some fear can be healthy. Um, But, you know, it's like when it's, when you're inundated with it and it's, you know, it's, it's relentless and it's over, it's, we're at a year and a half now, you know, that impact on the physiology you know, I, I really hope that there are some people out there that are researching this and, you know, because I think it's impacting, you know, some people's health way more than the virus would, you know, and again, you know, the virus is, it's, it's complex. I don't understand it, you know, in terms of the impact it's having on many people and, it, and, you know, it, it exists, you know, I have many friends that work in the you know hospitals and you know hearing their perspectives of what they're going through you know that's another element to it too you know they're so burned out and you know so there's all these different sides and different elements to you know the reality of our situation right now but i i just like i really i really hope and pray that you know mental health becomes more of a topic of conversation because it just, it's so important. I mean, that's why I shifted my practice into working with that because, you know, I just, yeah, you can give someone all the supplements and all the, you know, pharmaceuticals and all the things, but if you're not addressing this mental, emotional component, if you're not addressing the nervous system, the activation that's going on for someone, and then the trickle down effect of that, you know, it's like, that's, that's a problem. (laughs) It's a big problem. And, you know, the ways that impacts the immune system. And, you know, I think that this needs to be talked about more. Um, That's my hope anyway. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite questions is always, what is the balance? Um, But it's more in, when you were speaking about this idea, uh, use the example like of of a mother who shuts down their child when the child gets too angry and, and how that can then have, a, a subconscious effect on that child. The other side though, that, that what it made me think about was 
you know, I, I don't have kids yet, but uh, <laughs> recently I raised uh, five kittens. I adopted this. this oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and it was, it was a really amazing experience. But one of the things that was really fascinating was watching how this mother raised the, the kittens mm -hmm. and also how yeah. the kittens uh, began to learn about things like they would mm -hmm. play with each other. And I mean, literally all they did was three things. They, they slept, they, mm -hmm. they nursed from the mother and they wrestled. That's all they did all day <laughs> long, every day. Awesome. <laughs> Most of it was wrestling. And then they take, there was a lot of sleep so involved and then, mm -hmm. and then nursing. Um, but in that, in that, play of like wrestling there would always be these limits that were reached like they'd bite too hard or mm -hmm. um and then the other one would react and, and then i could also see where like they learn something and then they'd go to the mother and try it out and she just kind of let them like she'd let them bite them or bite her mm -hmm. um or try and do something but eventually if they crossed the line she would smack yeah. them and then they'd yeah. go back and be like, okay, that was too much. Okay, I can't mm -hmm. do that. But there was this aspect of discipline. And, yeah. and it also, it seems like, like anything, like if any of these things get taken too extreme, yeah. like that idea of like anger, like obviously shutting that down can be very detrimental because that child is not able to potentially then express something. But if the child is expressing something and it's also becoming unhealthy, not just for others, but actually for that child itself yeah. like to be in that perpetual yeah. state um, mm -hmm. and not learn that discipline can also be very, uh, very not in service of the health and well-being of that child. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I know this is kind of a complicated question, but where do you think is that balance? Because both sides like are very relevant and, yeah. and to find that to find that balance. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that in. And, you know, I think that's such an important piece to bring in um, because, yeah, there, you know, there is, there, there needs to be that balance. And again, I don't have children of my own, so I'm not going to pretend that I'm like some, you know, advanced parent or something like that. You know, I, I've definitely, wit you know, I have nieces and nephews. I have a lot of friends that have kids. And so I've witnessed a lot and, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I, I want kids. And so, you know, I often think about these concepts a lot, like how would I parent? And I think it is really important, you know, as a, as being in the role of the parent, you know, there's, there is that balance of like, of, of teaching and discipline and, you know, and, and safety and containment, you know, cause I think it can swing to the extremes of, you know, you can also have a parent that like doesn't discipline at all where there's no rules and, you know, the child runs the show. And I actually, I don't think that, you know, in my opinion, I don't think that that's actually that healthy because then it doesn't create a containment for them. And there's actually a bit of a lack of safety there um, because as the parent, you are the caregiver, you're supposed to create that container. And so, you know, I think there is that, that boundary or that, um, yeah, that, that line there. And again, I don't know the answer in terms of like, what is the line? I think it's a kind of learn as you go thing. I mean, that's what I've learned from some of my friends that are parents. It's like, you learn as you go and you, and you make mistakes and sometimes you discipline too much and sometimes not enough. And I think it is this balance. And I think you just try your best and bring in with, you know, all that you do know. And, 
I think ultimately it's important that, you know, children know that you love them and that you see them and that you are there for them and that they can talk to you. And, you know, I think there's like any relationship, there's going to be rupture and repair. And I think that that's, you know, similar with the child parent relationship. And I think it's important, you know, to, again, have an intention to, you know, really create that, that safe container um, and to teach and to discipline and to also, you know, allow the kids to be free too and to be in their wild and stay connected to their creativity and to their play and all of that. So I think it is just finding this, this sweet spot, this balance. And I'm sure it's way harder than I imagine. And, and I think that, you know, we're all going to fuck up our kids a little bit, I think, in terms of like, who knows, right? I just like, I don't know, you know, I don't think there's like this like perfect way to parent. Um, that's how I see it anyway. And so I think saving some money for their therapy later on in life is a good yeah. idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I, I think it is finding that just the balance that works for you works for your child too. Cause that's the thing. Every child's going to be different. There's different temperaments and, you know, there's definitely like some children that are very intense and high energy and need a lot more containment. And then there's some that are super chill and, you know, just kind of go with the flow. And so I think it's learning your child's nervous system too, and what works for them. Um, and, you know, again, coming from a space of kindness and love, it's like that fierce compassion that like, you know, sometimes you got to be that like strong mama bear or papa bear and kind of keep them in line with love and compassion and, you know, letting them know that you love them and it's not okay to do that, <laughs> you know, depending on what they're doing. It's funny. I've been spending a lot of time with my, my niece and nephew since being up here in Canada visiting and it's been really sweet and they're really good teachers. <laughs> they, they show you all the, all the places in yourself that need some looking into some tending to. Mm. Yeah. You, you said you also learned uh, acupuncture as part of your naturopathic training. Um, can yeah. you speak a bit about the principles of that? Uh, again, I think that's something that more and more a lot of people are familiar with. Um, yeah. But I think for a lot of people, it's still kind of a foreign concept, like this idea of yeah. how can inserting a needle like free yeah. up this energetic channel that's somehow blocking something that's causing me discomfort or pain. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah maybe, so, maybe acupuncture itself and also maybe yeah. those, those principles of, of like traditional Chinese medicine, because yeah. you were saying you studied herbology and, and that's also part of it as well. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's a, again, I'm, you know, I'm not an expert in this area, um, you know, it was part of our training and I, you know, I loved it in terms of really just having a different lens to see the body and the systems in the body and I think there's a couple different theories. You know, one of the main theories is the five elements theory and really looking at, you know, the different elements of the earth and how that corresponds to different organs in the body, different systems in the body and how those different, you know, systems also correspond to different emotions, different times of the year. It also reminds me of, you know, like the five or the, like the, the four directions that often, you know, uh, indigenous tribes work with and you know how that can really also be almost like a map for the body for the psyche in a way certain times of the year certain bodies will you know be 
going through, you know, like the physiology changes often, you know, depending on your environment or depending on your age or um, depending on, you know, if there's more like sadness in your life or more grief and then the different organs that that impacts. And, you know, again, some of it, like, I don't know how they came to some of these conclusions, but it's really amazing when you actually get to see it in, in real time. And, you know, I can, um, speak to myself. Like I had asthma for many years. I don't really have it anymore. Um, but I had it for many years and I think a lot had to do with, um, there was a, yeah, some, some deep grief that I was going through and often in traditional Chinese medicine, they'll view grief as it, it, it corresponds to the, the organ of lungs, which is just so interesting in terms of like what's happening in our collective right now. And then also, it also relates to, you know, the kidneys as well. Um, and actually the emotion of fear often relates to the kidneys. The emotion of anger often relates to the liver. Um, and so there's different um, schools of thought too around like how deficient someone's system is or how, um, you know, fortified someone is. And that's often, you know, there's different organ systems that a practitioner is working with, you know, strengthening. And then there's different energy meridians in the body that correspond to different organs, um, which I just find fascinating. And they've done some studies now looking at um, infrared cameras and, you know, putting in, um, and they're bilateral meridians so on both sides. So they'll put in points on one side and then the other side, that same meridian with no needles in it will light up. Um, which I just find really interesting. Um, and so they often talk about um, energy as chi. And so there's just these different energy channels in the body. And um, certain, when certain organ systems are stressed, there may be like a block in that meridian, that energy channel. And so with acupuncture, you're stimulating that channel. Um, so you're stimulating energy flow. Um, and there's, again, this is such a big topic. There's more you can dive into around, like, you know, there's different points in the body that are like, help to like nourish the whole system. There's certain points for like very specific things, um, for like a cough, there's like a certain lung point that you can do, or, you know, there's a certain inflammation point that you can do. And so there's, it's just, it's a whole system. It's a whole medical system, um, that I find really fascinating and, Definitely, if you're curious about it, you know, there's um, trying to think if there's any books that I would recommend. Um, there's definitely like, you know, different websites that you can check out. I just am not I'm having a memory block right now on what those are, <laughs> but highly recommend like just, you know, taking some time to learn more about it if you're curious. Yeah. So, yeah, I was watching this um, this documentary and it was this woman. She was a she was a black woman from North Carolina. And, and I think it was part of like Black History Month or something. And she was an herbalist and um, she was kind of speaking about how a lot of this knowledge was passed down to her in a way from her ancestors, the way of, of healing with plants, the way of looking at illness. Um, but obviously she was using local plants, like local North Carolina plants. And, and, yeah. and really she discovered like all of the, these amazing properties, how she would use them as salves, as, as remedies, mm -hmm. as, as baths. And, um, but one of the, 
I think the really fascinating things is, is she would say these things like, I'm just the messenger, like it's God doing the work. Uh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm God's servant. I just give his remedies, like these plants, they're not mine, they're from God. Okay. And this very religious aspect of her, and, it, you know, she had treated like thousands of people, people who also Western medicine, they wasn't able to help and, and she, she was able to heal them. And it's, uh, I mean, it's a very common aspect to a lot of traditional medicine that I think is really disregarded in, in a lot of modern medicine, which is this aspect of, of faith or, or faith in something that's, that's larger than the human being. Um, and it's almost something that's looked down upon. Like it, it's really yeah. mocked. I mean, I remember Less even- stigma. Yeah, uh, I, I had some Facebook post, and, and one of the responses was like, you know, if you have faith or you believe in Donald Trump, it was somehow tied to that, like you're probably going to die of the coronavirus because that's not going to save you, you know, and uh, I mean, obviously a lot of these things become very political, but but it was really like it's a very common mentality of kind of diminishing in a way the power of thought or the power of belief or the, the power of faith, the idea that that if I do believe in something or I have faith in something that's that's larger than me, uh, mm -hmm. that that can actually serve me. And I, I don't think there's been a tremendous amount of work done on this, but but I I, I do believe there there's a guy and you know he's received a, a bit of criticism, but I think his name is Larry Dosey and he was a medical doctor. And he actually wrote a book on, on the science of faith. And, and essentially what he found was that there was like a, a tangible, more than a placebo effect of people who had faith. And mm -hmm. even if that seems like a really weird idea, I mean, I think any medicine practitioner would agree that, you know, much like you said, when, when you came down to work with ayahuasca, like you were ready for it, like there was a calling yeah. that you can't really mm -hmm. describe um, yeah. It was coming to you in dreams. It was coming to mm -hmm. you in the waking state. There, there was some yeah. calling, and it, like, what is that? I mean, yeah. these things are spoken in a way of kind of like this mysterious way that we don't really yeah. know what that is. Mm -hmm. um, but that there's, there's, that there's. I think in any work, like if someone has that desire, if someone really is feel called to something, if someone has faith that that system is going to work, there is a much higher likelihood that that's going to work than if someone has all of these blocks and barriers and, you know, I know this isn't going to work, but it's also a very common thing in the Amazon with a lot of these indigenous healers. Mm -hmm is they say the exact same thing. Like we're, yeah. we're mediums, we're just doing God's work. Like it's spirit, it's God who's doing the healing. We're just, we're calling. And so much of the songs, so much of the ikaros are really calling on spirits or spirit, however one wants to look at it, to do that work. Um, is that something you found because also we were talking about these three levels of healing and, and obviously that idea of spirit can become very tricky how we think about that because it can mean so many different things to different people yeah. but even that idea of of faith or or an idea that there's something that's greater that mm -hmm. there's a greater power than simply 
the five senses that the humans being the human beings have to be able to to enact because obviously there's there's something incredibly powerful about those five senses the ability mm -hmm. to touch something the ability to smell mm -hmm. something um you know these are in incredibly powerful diagnostic tools um, mm -hmm. but also as you were mentioning and and you know i don't know if this is necessarily true but you, you were saying you were very sensitive in a way mm -hmm. and, and sometimes that sensation i, I think for many people it's beyond like a 100% rational thing of like, I know this because X, Y, and Z. It's mm -hmm. something that there's a felt sense that maybe can't be put into language or, or into like some reductionist way of like, that is the, the very essence of where it's coming from. Yeah. But there's something intangible, there, there's something ineffable, there's something that, um, maybe it's faith, maybe it's the unknown, however we want to think about it. But what do you think about that in term in the terms of, of health and healing? Because I think that's something that's often not talked about. And yeah. again, maybe for you, it's, it's, it, it doesn't mean anything and, and not that that's good or bad. I'm just curious because yeah. it does seem to be in, you know, much like you were also saying about your grandmother, like there mm -hmm. seemed to be, yeah. there's that quality there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I appreciate that question. And, you know, actually in this book that I'm reading, the Italy's Witches and Medicine Women, they talk, that's like one of the main concepts that they talk about this, you know, that they're getting messages from spirit um, and that, you know, they're a conduit essentially. And, you know, I, I it's interesting because, <clears throat> you know, I grew up in more of a conventional home and um, where like this type of stuff was really thought of as kind of woo-woo except for, you know, I feel like I could have more of these conversations with my mother and, you know, her mother and, you know, that lineage in a sense of like hearing about certain things that, you know, I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense to my rational mind, <laughs> you know, being able to see spirits or communicate with spirits, um, you know, and then, you know, it was interesting because I was raised Catholic. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm personally not really into organized religion anymore. Um, I, I have some, some issues with it um, in terms of, you know, that's a whole nother topic, but, you know, I, I actually, I really didn't like, you know, being forced to um, go to church, to talk to the priest, um, all the things. I really had a strong aversion to it. Um, something in my body was like, this doesn't feel right. Um, but there was also a curiosity there. You know, I always had a lot of questions and I really appreciate my father because he always encouraged us to question everything. And the teachers <laughs> in the Catholicism didn't really like that when I would question things like, you know, and they didn't like when I was challenging um, certain rules or principles that were in place. And you know, and so I actually got really turned off from, you know, religion and spirituality um, at a young age because I just, it, it felt very against, like, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, and I didn't like having to be forced into something like that. Um, however, you know, I always had, again, like a, a deep curiosity with like the magical and mystical realms. Um, and I think, you know, their deep fascination, also, you know, a deep sensitivity. And so, you know, certain things would happen 
when I was younger that I couldn't quite make sense with my rational mind. And, you know, I still can't really, you can't really, you know, in with our human language, describe a lot of it in terms of like what, what that is really. Um, and, you know, I, I really, it used to, kind of freak me out in some ways. And now I really see that as part of one of my gifts is to be able to connect to something bigger than myself and to receive, you know, certain inner knowings or, um, you know, to, to feel something in my body as a message in a sense. And I've learned to work with it um, over the years and to really accept it and, and be curious about it and open to it. Um, and this whole, you know, concept of spirituality has really evolved for me. You know, I'd say, um, people ask me what my religion is now. I say it's plants. Like I, I just say, like, I believe in the spirits of plants and, you know, and I believe in, um, that there is something bigger than us. You I know, mean, I'm someone, you know, I've always been a skeptic and I'm thankful for my father for that. Um, cause it's allowed me to question a lot of things and, you know, and to, I need to experience it to believe it. And so I think once I started working with plant medicine, then I started to believe it. I was like, Oh, there is a very vast, vast universe of things out there that we have no idea how to explain in this realm <laughs> and like, and even be able to begin to understand, um, you know, the more mystical experiences and the more magical realm, essentially. Um, and I, you know, again, I think that that is something that's missing for a lot of people is this connection to something bigger. And I get that a lot. I see that a lot in my practice. Um, and again, it's not for everyone. Um, but I think there's a way in which, and I think that's what organized religion did provide for a lot of people or does provide for a lot of people is this sense of, um, of community and a sense of, you know, connecting with something bigger than them. And I think that's why there is such a draw to religion for a lot of people. And again, I, you know, I, I don't want to offend anyone in terms of, you know, people who are, that's their belief system. That's great. Um, in terms of, you know, I think it's, it's individual in terms of what it gives you. And I think that, you know, I have my own, you know, belief system and my own, you know, um, connection with spirit, um, and I can remember even just like the word God would really be triggering for me from, you know, being in the Catholic church and everything like that. And, you know, and so I don't necessarily use that word when I'm talking about, you know, this, this energy that I feel it's like a universal kind of energy. Um, and it's, it doesn't feel like this big man, it doesn't feel like this man in the sky to me. It's like, there's, there's just something that I can't quite you know, I can't quite explain, but it's, it's a feeling, it's a, it's a guidance system for myself. Um, it's something that I trust. Um, and I think, you know, this whole concept of faith, I think, you know, there has been research in terms of, you can look at like, you know, the research they do on placebo effect when someone believes that something is going to help them the way that it actually does help them you know, the power of faith, the power of thought, the power of connection to something in terms of like, you know, I take this thing and I know it's going to help me. There's something that shifts in the physiology. Um, and I think this is really important, you know, in terms of, you know, I've seen this a lot in different studies and I've seen it a lot with, you know, people that I know as well. And 
actually my niece um, had leukemia. She, she got diagnosed when she was three. And, um, you know, it was, it was fascinating to watch a young child go through a diagnosis like that. Um, she's all good now, but to watch, you know, it's like so different from watching, you know, an adult human go through cancer. It's like a child, they don't have, you know, like she was so in the present. She wasn't like ruminating on the fact that she was sick. It was like very, you know, um, you tell her that like, this is going to help her to feel better. And, you know, she believes it. And, you know, she went through a lot. She went through hell, but she, I mean, she taught me so much through that because she was really in a space of, you know, this, there wasn't all this, you know, kind of ruminating on this illness. It was like, she was just moving through it in a very present way, very present. And, you know, and I, I really think there was a way in which that helped her to recover fast, faster than maybe, I don't know, an adult with leukemia. And again, there's many different factors there in terms of, you know, her physiology, her age, all those things. But I think that there is something there around, you know, this, this system of belief. And I, you know, I've seen this with elderly people as well that get cancer and then they get told that they only have a certain amount of time to live and then they give up and then their body starts to break down. And and then I've seen the opposite with people who are like, screw that. I'm not going to believe that I'm going to fight this. And I believe I'm going to get better and then they get better. And so I think there's many different stories though out there in terms of this is I think, you know, sometimes too, we can believe we're going to get better and then we don't get better. And it's like, what's that about? you know, but I think there is something there around this connection to something bigger um, and this connection to, you know, this guidance system. And I think, you know, how, when I'm working with people, you know, and I don't talk about this often um, because I think there's a lot of people who are skeptical and I'll be like, wow, that's really (laughs) woo-woo. And, but there is a way in which, you know, and I'll, I'm, I admit this, like I, you know, it's a, a lot of the work that I'm doing with people, it's me getting out of the way in a sense. And I'm just allowing something to come through and trusting that. And, you know, I think that's why it's so important too, that I'm constantly doing my own work on myself and clearing out my own stuff and clearing my own gunk out so that I'm a clear channel, a clear space to be able to allow whatever wants to come through you know, to when I'm working on people or with people. Um, And again, I can't fully explain that. It's just something that, you know, I experience firsthand and, you know, as a skeptic, it's like, and it's, it's real. And to me anyway, and it's, it's powerful in terms of, you know, some of the people that I've worked with, you know, the feedback that I get. And so, you know, I think that it is, you know, it is a big element in medicine that is lost in the Western society often. And I think that, you know, I, I'm curious to see how things unfold in our society. Um, because I have a feeling, I mean, it's something I'm grappling with and I'm working with my therapist around as well Is like, how am I going to support people through what I think we're headed for in terms of like what's happening with climate crisis and I mean, just what's happened in the last year and a half. And, you know, I think I keep coming back to the space of trust and coming back to the space of faith 
Um, and I think that really serves me in terms of, you know, how I'm navigating all of this in a support role in terms of supporting people um, in this kind of collective crisis we're in, essentially. And I think that, you know, my hope is to educate more and more people and not necessarily like I, I think it's more so like living by example, embodying what I want to see and hoping that that inspires, you know, someone else, inspires someone I'm working with. Um, and, you know, that, that will hopefully have a trickle effect. You know, I actually I love working with other practitioners um, because I know that they're going to see a bunch of other people as well and it's going to trickle out. And so, you know, and I definitely see myself more, hopefully, you know, as time goes on and more of a mentorship role as well, mentoring other clinicians and, you know, also doing more education and more teaching. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there's a lot to that topic, but that's kind of my, my personal perspective in terms of how I navigate it all and what it is for me. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I heard the other day that in the U.S., for the first time ever, uh, the majority of the population uh, doesn't ally themselves with any religious church, um, which, uh, you know, for the U.S., especially in the beginning, it was really a refugee for religious right. immigrants. Yeah. And, and so that was always a huge part of, of the U.S. And but for the first time, there's, there's, you know, I think it's like 51, 49 or something now, but 51%, the majority does not uh, identify with any particular church. Oh. Mm -hmm. And so it is interesting because as we were talking about, like a lot of these ailments that, especially these chronic ailments and things like depression and anxiety, um, mm -hmm. I think it is an interesting correlation that as those begin to increase this idea of religion or faith is also decreasing. And, you know, I think there's, there's definitely a correlation between the two. And, and obviously, the, there's a lot of other factors. I, I mean, even just something so simple as, as, as having like a church, like that's, there's also a community yeah. aspect to that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, there's an activity, it, it gets you out of the house. It, it, yeah. uh, it it's something where you like you get cleaned up for like even simple mm -hmm. things like on a right. hygienic level mm -hmm. like you, right. you look nice you put on your best clothes there's right. um there's 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 a communal aspect of being around other people and and mm -hmm. and sh trying to share in something greater and right. uh receiving teaching uh by someone and um often having potlucks or dinners i mean mm -hmm. there, there's a real you know, there's so many other aspects to it, but but certainly I, I do think that idea of faith is 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 part of it. And I was reminded of uh, the the Johns Hopkins study where they worked with psilocybin um, mm -hmm. uh, mushrooms with people on their deathbed, so essentially who had terminal illnesses, and they were only diagnosed to have a few months to live. And I could be getting the percentage wrong, but, but I think it was three out of four people said that they had like one of the top three, if not the most profound experience of their lives. Mm -hmm. And one of the really common themes was they, they in essence, they, they lost their fear of, of death. Like they had this sense 
that there was something greater that wasn't just of this earth, that they were actually being held in a way. And and people use very similar languages. Like they were, they were being held by this, this love or this light Mm -hmm. that, that they knew they were going to be fine when they died, because there was something, uh, not of this world that, that was awaiting them. And the, I remember one example of, of a woman who was really interesting because she was she identified herself as an atheist, but the, the language she used to describe her <laughs> experience is she said, I felt the love of God. <laughs> and that gave her comfort to where she no longer feared where she was headed. And um so yeah, I, I just found that really fascinating. But kind of leading into that, you, you mentioned this idea of uh, you're working with ketamine now, and also this movement of, of psychedelic assisted therapy is really seeming to to take hold in in, in North America, especially in the U.S. and Canada, to to, to a lesser degree in Europe. Um, and <clears throat> you know, it, it's interesting because when I started working with plant medicine. I started to, to see, I mean, it was probably before that, because also at a very young age, I was very interested in spirituality and, and uh, religions and what these things were trying to point towards. And, and for me at the root, it, it seemed like there was something communal that they were all pointing towards and mm-hmm. something experiential that there was all of these practices and techniques, whether it was like a technique of knowledge, like reading the Quran, reading the Bible, like just constantly doing that, whether it was repetition through mantra to, to try and uh, break ourselves of these natural cycles that we all fall into, whether it's some other yoga practice, whether it's going off into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and not eating and, and getting so weak that something cracks and something opens up, um, whether it's meditative practices. But when I started, especially working with plant medicine, I really began to see that at the root of a lot of these religions, I think, and I also think there's a growing body of evidence that's beginning to show that there was these plants there that were at the root of a lot of religion. And that essentially, you know, even Christianity, like the, Mm -hmm. to experience Christ consciousness, one had to consume the the, the blood and the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even as a Catholic, like they don't mean that metaphorically, they mean that literally, but that doesn't make much sense. Mm -hmm. Like to, to eat a little wafer and drink some wine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But again, Mm -hmm. you know, I think one of the fascinating things about this time is that as we begin to have better access to information, to, to really be able to, to learn and compare all sorts of different practices and religions, it does seem like something like this work was at the root of, of a lot of religion, which was really the root of humanity. Like, what does it mean to be human? Yeah. I mean, even our language, like, like to breathe or to respirar, like, that that it's the same word as spirit like to be infused with spirit is to be infused with life is to be infused with breath so the very essence of what it means to be a human being is to be filled with spirit and yet most of us would like completely disregard that as is again something or something antiquated and yet literally you know, again, what a lot of these maybe plant traditions are pointing towards is this connection with spirit that by ingesting this sacrament, which yeah. again, for so many of these people is a sacrament, it's something yeah. sacred. And that by ingesting that we have the chance to experience 
Christ, God, spirit, mm. uh, however we want to look at it, whatever words resonate. But mm. in so many of these traditions, I mean, even ayahuasca, it, it's a Quechua word meaning vine of the dead. You know, this death motif is such a common thing in all of these, these, yeah. these paths, which also, again, sounds strange, but this idea being to die before we die so that we can truly live, so that we can okay. know maybe that there is no death, that that's, you know, that's the Maya, the, the, the biggest illusion is itself an illusion. Like it's there, you know, maybe is no death, that there is this eternity. Again, this idea of God, which so many people believe in, but, but I don't know that they really think about what that means on a deeper level, like this idea of everything eternity eternal mm -hmm. like and that can be very scary when we actually begin to go into that because it shatters right. what we think of reality which is mm -hmm. finite which is birth and death and all of the things that are manifested from that but this kind of a long rant but um okay. i guess the idea with uh you mentioned this idea of like working with ketamine and, and maybe mm -hmm. psilocybin and um you know, it seems like an interesting phenomena that is happening at the same time that all of these, as you were mentioning, all of these mental emotional issues are arising at such a large yeah. scale, things like depression, anxiety, lack of purpose, lack of connection, um, that also these things are beginning to emerge. Um, mm -hmm. So what do you what do you think is the role of, of some of these medicines like ketamine or psilocybin and and, and how do you, I guess, how do you work with that? And then how do you see that kind of moving forward in, in a bigger way? Because it's, it's something I think people are being awakened to. Um, yeah. You know, even 15 years ago, very few people were familiar with any of these things. Or if they did, much like maybe your parents were saying, they were going to make you crazy mm -hmm. and, yes, and they were yes. drugs and you had to be a loser. Mm -hmm. when yeah. <laughs> in reality it's potentially the essence of what it means to be a human like the essence of, yeah. of religion of spirituality was mm -hmm. these practices and, and maybe not inherently with plants but something that these plants yeah. give us a direct experience which can be potentially accessed through different means but this is a For very sure. clear yeah. and direct way to begin to experience that yeah I mean, I think you touched on so many different things there that are, that I find really important. And, you know, and I think, yeah, I think these medicines are tools, you know, they're a tool to be able to access that space. And, you know, I think there are other means there, you know, maybe like a trance state or, you know, breath work or, you know, deep meditation and silence for, you know, like Vipassana you know, or even yoga or even dance can put you in these states, these altered states of consciousness where you're, I mean, how I see it is it's a way for your defense structures to soften and for you to access a certain part of yourself that you can't normally access with your wake, waking conscious mind. And it allows you to access these other realms, these other dimensions, again, that I don't, it's hard to describe in, in with the rational mind and with language in a sense, it's something that I feel like people need to experience in order to really be able to have a felt sense of what it is. 
because I think it is such a feeling sense, this connection to something bigger. And I really, you know, I, I also, I find it so fascinating that religion, you know, I, if you really go back, you know, I really do. I, I wonder, you know, did, did these, you know, um, like was, you know, who knows, was Jesus eating like something psychedelic or was he like getting himself into an altered state of consciousness and receiving wisdom from somewhere from beyond? You know, I think there's, there's so much mystery in being human on earth right now. And I think that when you can, you know, it allows you to have this distance and this perspective, you know, to see the bigger picture, you know, we're, we're these humans that are having this spiritual experience here. And I think you can either, you know, ignore that and disconnect from it and, you know, go through the motions and allow yourself to be, you know, in a small worldview, that's totally fine, you know, and that that's maybe your path. Um, but I think that I see a lot of people who are in that space who are really struggling. And especially with what's happening right now, this like this collective crisis we're in, you know, it's really, it's really, you know, when I think about what made me, you know, seek out healing and seek out help and support was I, you know, I hit rock bottom, you know, that was my, you know, that's what made me change. You know, if you look at what makes people change and I think what's happening is things are getting so uncomfortable for the collective right now that a lot of people are starting to change and making changes and starting to evaluate and a lot is being revealed. And so there's almost like this, like there's so much happening in terms of this crisis, but then also like a lot of people are waking up to a lot in terms of, you know, seeing a lot more clearly and seeing themselves differently and also reevaluating, like, how do they want to be living the rest of their life here on earth? And, and what, what does that entail? You know, what is, and like really seeing like, wow, I don't actually like being with myself or, you know, I don't like, you know, how I'm feeling, you know, and, and so seeking out support. And I think part of that is, you know, part of this support is this connection to something bigger. And, you know, this isn't always my access point when I'm working with people, it's more so that's like, that's usually an after effect of what, um, you know, in working with some of these altered states of consciousness, that's one of the, the benefits often, you know, and I, I find some people can be really close to that. And it's often fear, you know, it's fear of the unknown, fear of something that doesn't quite make sense to their rational mind. And so there's, there's a aversion to it and a contraction. Whereas, you know, some other people that I work with that are much more open and more curious, you know, they tend to get more out of the experience in terms of they, you know, will be shown more um, in terms of that, you know, that experience. And it, it really enriches their life. And, you know, I have some, one, one um, patient that I, I'm working with and, you know, she says the work that we've done together has been the most profound work she's ever done in her life, the most profound experiences. And, you know, that's really, it's really rewarding for her. And also, you know, rewarding for me to be able to, you know, have that privilege to sit in that space with her. And, you know, right now, you know, in the, because uh, some of these medicines aren't legal yet, um, but in California, you know, I can, I can work with ketamine in the above ground setting um, in the clinic that I work at Sage Integrative Health in Berkeley. Uh, we do ketamine assisted psychotherapy. Um, and, you know, I'm essentially with that medicine, you know, it's a pharmaceutical, but it allows the defenses and the edges to soften a little bit. 
and creates the safe container for someone to be able to go into some of the, the trauma that's there, some of the discomfort that's there, maybe allows them to get some space from that. Um, it also can be really anti-inflammatory and help with pain as well. And it's, it's pretty safe in terms of, you know, you can work with it while you're on other medications as well and doesn't last that long. Um, and we usually work at lower work with lower doses of it to start off with. And so more of a conversational dose to start. Um, and then, you know, you, then you can start to dose higher and people can have these very mystical experiences with it as well. Um, and visions, you know, it depends on the person and it's not for everyone, like all of these medicines, you know, it's really not for everyone. There's definitely things, you know, there's, there's definitely a assessment process beforehand of, you know, assessing to see if someone is, is, um, you know, a candidate for these types of medicines. And then, you know, and then I've worked personally with, you know, other medicines as well. Um, and, you know, and I, I am going to be doing the MAPS MDMA therapist training, um, starting at the end of the month. And so I'll be eventually be able to do that in the above ground setting as well. And, you know, the MDMA, um, work is really powerful too. You know, I've seen it with myself and then I've also read a lot of the research and with the MDMA assisted therapy, it, it, the, the results are amazing in terms of the research that they're doing. Like, I think it's like 60 something percent cured of PTSD within like three sessions included with therapy and integration support. And, you know, that's, that's just outstanding in terms of, there's not much else that touches that. And, you know, the MDMA therapy, I think it's really, you know, it's downregulating the amygdala, the fear response in the brain. And then it's also, you know, this creating this heart opening experience, um, you know, and it allows you again, to soften those defenses because I think the conscious mind can be so, you know, depending on what your life has been like, can be so rigid in some people out of protection. You know, it's like we create all these like armors and protective mechanisms to be able to allow us to survive. But the, the very thing that protected us can also, you know, really damage us as we, you know, grow in terms of really limit us and hold us back. And I think there's so much more in that subconscious, in that subtle body that, you know, there's so much healing that can be accessed when you can access that space. And I think that's what some of these medicines do. And I think with the MDMA, it softens that and creates this like deep sense of safety. And when you're in the presence of a practitioner, you know, the practitioner's trained and hopefully, and is very regulated and, you know, can help to recreate and, and, you know, renegotiate that trauma in the nervous system. So someone can go into, you know, it almost slows down memories as well and helps with memory recall. So someone can go into, you know, say like an example, like a traumatic sexual assault and can go into that and go into that memory and really feel those emotions that, you know, they were feeling back then, but, you know, can be in the presence of, you know, practitioners who, who's really attuning to them and holding, holding them if that's what they need, or just being there with them. Oftentimes when someone experiences trauma, it's not necessarily like the event. It's usually what happens afterwards that creates a lot of the, you know, dysregulation in the nervous system. And, you know, it's like, you know, when someone is alone or, you know, then they don't necessarily get to complete that, that trauma cycle in the nervous system. And so by having, you know, regulated practitioner there, you're able to dip in 
and, you know, in a really safe way and revisit and, you know, let's create a new experience and I, and create this, you know, allow for this discharge that we talked about earlier, this discharge of emotion or energy and, and a new experience of being held and being seen and being, you know, cared for in that really traumatic space. So it creates profound healing in terms of, you know, what I've experienced myself and then in witnessing um, and, you know, yeah, reading different, you know, hearing different stories and reading different, you know, articles. And I think they can be really helpful tools. Um, and again, not for everyone, but I think, I think they're going to be a big part in, you know, our future in terms of, I really see some people are calling it like psychedelic Renaissance or, you know, I don't know, the like, um, yeah, this like comeback of psychedelic research. And I, th I think they are, they have so much potential. Um, and again, another big topic, because I feel like there's a lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of risk with it too. And, you know, I really, I really think that the practitioners that are working with these tools need to be very trained, uh, well-trained, and also have done a lot of their own work with these medicines. Um, I think that's key. And I, th I think you can, you can relate to that in terms of being a facilitator at, at the ayahuasca center. It's like, you wouldn't just let someone off the street come in and help facilitate, you know, facilitators need to have done a lot of their own work with the medicine and get to know it and get to know the nuance of it. And cause you have to be prepared of what could come in that space. And, you know, I mentioned this earlier, it's like, you can't take anyone further than you've ever gone. And I think that's a key thing for anyone who's listening that is interested in this work and start having your own experiences and find a guide, a trained guide and, you know, do your own work on yourself, your own healing or inner discovery inquiry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on two and a half hours already. Wow. Um, is there fast. anything... <laughs> <laughs> is there anything we we didn't touch on that you'd like to that you'd like to talk about oh wow I think we covered a lot um, I think the big thing is yeah you know I just I I just want to emphasize too in talking about you know I think this is a hot topic talking about psychedelic assisted therapy and I think just cautioning people to be careful um in terms of you know really being um really trusting your own inner system in terms of like who feels good to work with and, you know, really um, asking a lot of questions and working with someone who is trained and who has a lot of experience in this realm as well. And just knowing that this isn't for everyone too. Um, I think that that's an important thing to note. Um, and also, you know, just how important it is to have a lot of support if you are working with these medicines and just how important, you know, it's like, like I said, this is a tool and, you know, the real work begins afterwards in terms of the integration. And so, you know, reach out to people who have training and experience, you know, and, um, you know, there's a lot to the, the after, after time, after you have one of these sessions, it's like, how do you take those lessons and how do you integrate that into your life and what practices you need to bring into your life now and um, to really solidify that um, into your you know day-to-day -day here in this realm um, and then 
you know, also to, I, I also just want to give thanks to the, you know, to you to having me on this, um, on this platform and being able to share my voice. I think that's really, yeah, it's really great. And I also just thank you to all of my teachers and, you know, mentors and guides and family and friends and all the people that have shaped me into, you know, who I am too, and the practitioner that I am. Um, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> And one more thing, I also wanted something I was talking about with my patient actually right before this call was the importance of play and the importance of pleasure and joy and just really wanting to emphasize that, how important that is during these times. And I know that you and I both love to dance. And I think that is something that I think, you know, I want to encourage more in people is to really find those things, those outlets for yourself and really do them. You know, it's like, don't get lost, don't lose that, the things that make you come alive, really lean into that. And this, I'm saying this as, you know, giving advice to myself, because I haven't been dancing enough, and I haven't been playing the drums enough. And so definitely just reminders that, you know, the antidote often to fear and shame is often pleasure and joy and play. So just encouraging that. Yeah, yeah great. If people are interested in, in working with you or reaching out to you, what would be the best way to do that? Yeah. So, um, and, and I have maybe, a website. And maybe just uh, <laughs> yeah. talking a bit about like what you offer also. Yeah. 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 I know this is the, the big question often, like what do you do? <laughs> Cause I've got, I've got so many different tools. And so it's something I'm continuing to refine. Um, you know, I'm, I'm calling it integrative mind, body medicine, um, but in terms of what I offer, you know, mostly I don't necessarily do kind of like what you would think of the traditional naturopathic doctor does, um, anymore. I can, but it's not, I, I feel like my passion lies more in working in more of the deeper mental, emotional realms. And so, you know, I don't, I don't do a lot of the like food sensitivity testing and digestive support and all that anymore. I mean, I integrate often, you know, I'll pull in sometimes, you know, nutritional advice and all that, but I'd say often, you know, most of what I'm doing now is, is somatic therapy with people and bringing, weaving in, you know, some of the compassionate inquiry based counseling. And then I'm also, you know, again, just bringing in different tools from that I've learned from my own journey and the different trainings that I've had. And, since the pandemic, I've been doing most of my work online um, right now in terms of, you know, I do a lot of integration work with people. Um, so people that are working with, uh, you know, psychedelic medicines or altered states of consciousness, I'll do sessions with people. Um, and then, I, yeah, I integrate these different, you know, modalities into that, those sessions. Um, and then I also do I'm going back to California in September and I will be doing the ketamine assisted work uh, in person again at the clinic in Berkeley. Um, so that's another thing. So if you're interested in that, you can check out the website. Um, I think it's, I mean, I can, I can give it to you. I'll send it to you after Jay. I think it's um, sageintegrativehealth.org. Um, there's a lot of information about our clinic there and there's lots of other wonderful practitioners there as well too. Um, and then, yeah, I have a website too, but it's, it's pretty outdated now that I think about it. I made it like six years ago and I need to update it. So I don't know if that's the best resource, but you can actually read about a lot of what I was doing <laughs> a couple of years ago too. And it's, it's somewhat updated. Um, 
if you want to just get a better sense. And then there's also, you know, from my website, you, there's a contact button and you can write, if you want to write me an email, you can write an email through there and it'll send it directly to my, my email and then I can get back to you. Um, and I'm also on Instagram. Uh, it's Dr. Jenny Kandari is my Instagram handle. It's D-R-J-E-N-N-Y-C-U-N-D-A-R-I. But yeah, so it's, in, yeah, I'm like, I'm, my practice is pretty full right now, but I, you know, I, I am always, you know, I, I will make exceptions for, you know, um, there's always openings that come up to, you know, people feel they need to take a break or, you know, so just reach out. Um, something else that I'm also doing is mentorship for other clinicians as well. Um, so if you're a clinician, you know, I, I'm happy to, yeah, set up, you know, more of a mentorship role as well. Um, yeah. Wonderful. We'll put those yeah. uh, all in the, the show notes. And thank awesome. you very much for coming on. This was a pleasure. And it was great yeah. to, to catch up with you again. And uh, yeah. hopefully our paths will cross at some point in the, the not too distant future. Um, I hope so. Well, yeah, we still need to have a dance battle. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you again for having me. And it's nice to, nice to connect. Thank you. Yeah. Likewise. Well, thank you very much, Jenny. Yeah. And I wish you all the best. Okay. And I, I hope some people reach out to you and, uh, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Take care. All right, everybody, that is it. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the show with Jenny. Uh, it was a pleasure for me to be able to sit down and catch up with her. Uh, she has a really, I think, interesting and beautiful story, and she does some amazing work. So it was a pleasure for me to be able to catch up with her, to, to give her the opportunity to share of, of some of the work she does and the wisdom, uh, talking about uh, different forms of uh, natural medicine, holistic medicine. So I hope you all enjoyed that. As always, if you're able to support the podcast, a really big help to me. Patreon is a really good option. For as little as a dollar a month, you can sign up. There's different tiers you can sign up for. It also gives you some really nice added benefits, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. Uh, so that's a really big help to me to continue to be able to do this podcast. To all the people who have done that, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, there's also the option of direct donating via PayPal. I'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. Also now, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, there's the option to join via YouTube, to join the channel and get a lot of the, the same perks as the Patreon option. Um, also, if you're able to subscribe to the show, that's a really big help. Uh, subscribing to the show, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, uh, especially with the YouTube one, and then with the audio version going on Apple Podcasts, subscribing to the show, leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's a really big help. So thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you continue to enjoy the future episodes. Uh, I have a number of guests coming on scheduled. My friend Kunti will be coming on. She does a lot of work with Tema's Cows, Sweat Lodges. Uh, also, she works with 5MEO DMT. Um, I'll be talking with my friend Ben, who does uh, similar work working with uh, tobacco and ayahuasca. Um, who else? I have... I have a couple other people coming on. They're not coming to me right off the top of my head. Uh, Ido, uh, who I interviewed with Diana, he'll be coming back on as well. And uh, I think there's there's one or other two people I have scheduled, um, but I will finalize that soon. But there should be some really interesting guests coming on. So thank you all for tuning in, and I will see you all on the next episode.
So. <laughs>